0: This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, relax, Grab a cold and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to the Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold, Commodore Nation. Anchor down the drunk girl scream and shout. We love it, we hate it, we're all just trying to make it in this crazy
1: town. Welcome into The Door Report. It is episode 209 on a Thursday night, March the 2nd. March is here. It's time for a little March Madness and Vandy opened up the month of March with a little bit of madness. We'll talk all about that We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, family-owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service, growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you are interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue out in Berry Hill. Give them a call at 615-356-0303 or check them out on the web at alakofinewoodfloors.com. Alongside Will Byram, Trevor and I'm Billy Derrick. And today, we've got a lot to get to, guys. We've got a baseball interview with Rhett Wiseman previewing this weekend uh, up in uh, Minneapolis. We're going to talk a little bit about Anthony Orji and his combine numbers, which are very, very good. So we'll go through that and... think we've got a win in Lexington to talk about as well we'll we'll get to that we've got a lot of fan questions so this might be a record-breaking pod in terms of of length and Mississippi State coming into Nashville on (laughs) on Saturday night so buckle up guys uh well I don't even know where to start from last night I mean you know it's one of those games where you know it's going to be close you know Vanderbilt is is going to compete and fight their tails off but it felt like we were seeing the same story over and over again that like that we've seen. So, real quick before we dive deeper, what was your reaction to the entire game as you're sort of watching it play out? Because because for me, I kept thinking that here's the run, here's the 10-0 run for Kentucky, here's where they win, here's where they they get the 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 crowd involved. It just never really happened. So, will initial take. From the win in lexington
2: the only thing predictable about this team is unpredictability i think this will be like my fourth or fifth episode saying that and i'm glad that i got that quote attributed to me here on this podcast because wow like that is the only thing that i could think was like once liam went down with the injury they started out playing really well liam went down with the injury which i'm sure we'll get to that i was like okay they're gonna play hard for a period, but eventually they're just gonna going to be outmatched, and then the referees will get involved later on. Eventually, Kentucky's talent and depth will just take over. And of course, I was completely wrong, uh, and Vanderbilt was able to pretty much control that game. I think Kentucky took the lead yeah. uh, briefly, uh, and Vanderbilt was able to keep it tied there at the end, thanks to a missed free throw from Kentucky, I believe. And then there you go. Like I, in shock, without it's in- words, indescribable. because it's. It is. It, it's everything that you wouldn't expect this team to walk into LSU and lose on the road to the worst team in the conference and then go on the road again into the toughest environment in, in the entire SEC to probably the hottest team in the SEC yeah. right now. I'm, I'm not diminishing what Alabama is doing, but they struggled with Auburn, got taken to overtime last night. Uh, they're definitely, you know, have things going on in that locker room and you go in and you beat them without your best player and Jordan Wright shows up and finally becomes Batman. Like we said Mm. at one point, but maybe he was Robin and Liam Robbins was Batman. And once he was out of the game, man, if there's anybody that deserved it, that was what I kept thinking. I wasn't thinking about the tournament. I know a lot of the questions will be about that. And a lot of the discussion will be, it didn't really matter about that. But man, if there was a player that deserved a performance like that in that spot, it was Jordan Wright. Uh, With the injury issues he's had, man, it just seems like he's never really gotten back to 100%. So that's a lot of first thoughts, but my brain was pretty crowded at the end of that game. I I was completely at a loss, and I was just like, man, every single time that I think I have this team pegged or know what's going to happen or Jerry's lost the team or no way that they win or no way that they lose this game, like, I'm just wrong. I do not have a beat on this team at all. And so that was my takeaway is I just don't know what's going on. I can't predict it. It doesn't follow any logic. Trevor, I don't know what your reaction was, but (laughs) based on you shaking your head right now and laughing, I I would imagine it's got to be a little bit similar to that. I mean,
3: I, I totally agree. I'm to the point now, which I mean, it's so late in the season, but it's, it's pointless to try and figure out this team because like you said, anytime you have them figured out, you then just something goes left or right. And I finally, this late in the season, I wish I would have made up my mind and just uh, had this attitude in like January. But for the rest of the season, I'm just going to enjoy the ride, enjoy Vandy basketball, try not to uh, get caught up in net rankings or SOS or Ken Palm, because then when I do, uh, I get crippling anxiety and my brain stops to work <laughs> and I don't like feeling those feelings. So I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy a wonderful win in Rupp. Um that, you don't need, I mean the, the third time in school history, I think, is that someone, I think no, that's so, what they
1: said. So third time in the last 52 tries. So oh, that's God. what it was. I mean, yeah. But so basically the last, you know, <laughs> You could, you could basically say that program history. Relevant program history. I mean, history. yeah, but I mean, what a win. And like you
3: said, I you can talk about this. I think this win is, is a team win. I think this win is a win for the coaching staff in that being able to beat this Kentucky team, a hot Kentucky team with their backs against the wall without arguably the best player, one of the best. He's not better than Brandon Miller, but in our hearts he is definitely a better person but uh the one of the best sec players in all of basketball losing him and then still being able to figure out how to get the win at the end of the game um and i totally agree i i think that this is jordan's shining moment and i don't i think nobody else deserves it more than him um what he's given to the program i mean we've all been hypercritical of him um has he taken the steps we thought he would no is he uh, playing in a role that we thought he would no but uh yeah kudos to Jordan no one deserves this more than him that was that was really special to see
1: yeah and after the game guys i know we've been really critical of 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 stackhouse and, and this program but you know that post game moment with him and jordan w- was pretty cool God, i mean a that that, jerk, that was that was pretty <clears> special i mean that it reminds you of of Clark Lee after the kentucky a game in Lexington uh, on the football field. And, and, you know, it's, it's moments like that where you start to think a little bit about, okay, you know, what is he building? You know, is is this thing headed in the right direction? And that's a deeper conversation. We, you know, we're going to keep talking about that, but uh, man, that was, that was special. And I think that, that, that tells you about the journey that Jordan has has really made at Vanderbilt. I mean, we've talked about him a lot this year, you know, having to be a guy that has to step up and, and, you know he struggled at times, but it, against Kentucky, he did what he had to do. He went and made the shot, and uh, you know that won, that won them the game. And and he after he hit that shot, you knew, you know, Kentucky was sort of out of it, and you know you, you knew Vanderbilt had won the game right there. Uh, you, you know, mm-hmm. at least you know I know deep down Vanderbilt fans probably did it in the moment, but but you know you, you I was about to say like, I
2: don't know about new I, I just knew the shot from Kentucky was going in. At the end, I just felt it in my soul. Well, that's the they, same they thing. They got yeah. such Auburn. a they got such a good look. Like I just knew it was it they, was a really good look. It, yeah, it, it, it was, was a fantastic look. Yeah. look with like two point seven seconds you, like, left, airballing. and I was just like, "That's going in." Yeah, and it wasn't even close. So yeah, the basketball ex- god smiled down upon Vanderbilt multiple times during that Kentucky yeah. game.
1: You got that right, and, and that's been the whole that's been the whole year, guys. I mean, that Kentucky game was a microcosm. I don't know about whole year, but the the SEC wins. Vanderbilt's gotten sort of the luck of the draw. They've gotten the calls that they've had to get. And uh, we'll we'll dive all into that Kentucky game. we got a lot to get to, guys. Before we do, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at door underscore report, and Instagram, door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco
1: Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship, you can stand on. All right, guys. Let's start with Anthony Orji at the Combine. Uh, really, really good 40-time. 4-5-3 official 40-yard uh, dash. That's tied for eighth among linebackers, and there's a lot of really good linebackers, so that's pretty good as well to be that high up. Tied for, for eighth uh, in the 40-time. Guys, that, that's that's pretty good. I, I don't quite know what I expected from Anthony. I'm not going to say I expected a, you know, a 4-4 four, four or anything. I mean, I don't know, but 4-5-3 that's pretty damn good for a linebacker. I I'm, I'm not sure about his other numbers will. I don't know if you have those, you know, uh, like the cone drill or whatever, but for Anthony, this combine is big. We know he's going to get drafted. But real quick, guys, w- what's the what's the projection here? I mean, I know we're not draft analysts here, but it, Will, do you think this is fifth round guy late seventh I mean what like you look at Anthony what kind of an NFL draft prospect do you see him Mr Byram the the draft analyst
2: <laughs> yeah really putting me on the spot here but yeah I've got the numbers pulled up his vertical jump 30 38 and a half inches broad jump uh 10 feet two inches 10 yard split 1.54 seconds on that Ooh, 40. The I, ten, they don't have the 10 the, foot they don't two have
1: is insane yeah. that's an insane broad jump
2: they don't have the three cone drill, the 20 yard shuttle or bench press yet. So I, okay. I don't know. They don't have that updated. I'm assuming that hasn't happened yet. Late, It's later on. I really don't know for him. He's going to be a physical freak, but he's kind of that tweener. I, yeah. I think he's going to struggle with the size that he's at. He's kind of he's 6'1", 230. Uh, he's he's kind of that in-between of an NFL guy. Can he play linebacker? Is he more of a safety Uh, Reminds me a little bit of the position that maybe Oren Burks was kind of in, but man, he's a freak. I mean, he's just an absolute freak athlete. The broad jump or the uh, vertical jump, broad jump you mentioned, like maybe I don't know. It's It's so early in this whole process. He's he's a smart guy. He's going to like interview well. I think that's a huge part when you're playing linebacker, especially in the NFL at the next level. That's kind of underrated. Uh, is the personalities that these NFL locker rooms look for, uh, and that's why you've seen some of these guys and a lot of these guys lately that have been coming off of not so great Vanderbilt teams. Trent Sherfield is a great example, uh, sticking on rosters. Trey Herndon, uh, guys that are not coming off, you know, even bowl teams or even close to bowl teams at at some points. Jordan Matthews and, still sticking yeah, on rosters, and man. and they're able they're able to stick from the Derek Mason era because at Vanderbilt as the NFL continues to increase in complexity of scheme, having intelligent players. And obviously if you can make it through the coursework, that's, that's a, that's an asset that NFL teams are going to continue uh, to see as really valuable. And if you have a reputation as a program that produces guys, you know, that have it together between the ears, I think that's going to continue to be something that NFL teams look for more and more. Uh, moving forward, and right now Vanderbilt has that. Thank God that Orji got an invite to the Combine, because the Ooh. football program needed the content. I mean, they have been milking this thing right now. They had <laughs> they had some spring stuff start, but man, they have really been showing off about Orji making it to the Combine. So mm-hmm. shout out to him. As they uh, he's should, performed yeah. well so far. Yeah. I'm hoping uh, that he can be a drafted guy. I would assume that he would be like a sixth-round type Type that's, player, yeah. I could be wrong. Uh, that's you know, what I was thinking. I, I too. don't, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of you know mock stuff lately going into the later round guys. I've seen a lot of like first round type mm. uh mock drafts, which I haven't seen him a part of, obviously, but uh, I haven't really seen anything as far as projecting out uh the actual like mid to late round guys. I will say they have the next gen stats breakdown for Orgy here. On NFL.com, oh, and, and I'll go through those, but they have his production score uh, in the 2023 combine linebacker rank. He's 22nd. He has a 53. I don't really know what that means. Uh, his athleticism score is an 87, third amongst linebackers in the 2023 combine. Wow. And his total score ranks him as the 16th linebacker in the 2023 combine with a total score of 63. So there's a big, you know, Long list of things that go into that, but that rates him as like an average linebacker, which is what I'm basing this on with, yeah. with being a fourth, fifth, sixth round guy. I don't know if you have any like actual NFL draft projections out there that you've I, seen. I really don't. But
1: hearing that 87 rating, Will or whatever, you know, whatever that was, third among linebackers and his his 40 time right now is tied for eighth. And you sort of think, OK, how many linebackers are going to fall in the first, you know, two days and, you know, you think to yourself, I mean, four to five have to at least. So maybe, you know, maybe he is a fifth round guy, M- you know, most likely sixth. that I agree with you. Well, I would go sixth. you know, if I'm if I listen to my gut, just because he could he could provide a lot of value on special teams. I mean, at least early in his career until he, you know, sort of molds into the player, you know, that that he wants to be. But, yeah, I, I'm thinking six. I don't know about you, Trevor, but I, I, five mm-hmm. to seven. And I would say most likely sixth, maybe fifth round. I think, yes. I think he's going to probably
3: be those later rounds. Um, he's getting drafted. He's not going to be yeah. an undrafted guy. Someone is going to pick him up. Um, Knock on wood. I think especially with the way you see the linebacker position in the NFL. Um, we uh, Will did hit on his size. Um, but the NFL is shifting to that sort of smaller, Hybrid. thinner – more of a hybrid linebacker. You don't see guys who are built like Brian Erlach or Ray Lewis anymore. That's true. Let um, me let
1: me ask you this: D- Does an NFL team try him out at safety, or or is that or do you guys not? Because I'm thinking about that. Is six one two thirty? Maybe they ask him to lose some weight and try out at safety, or do they just stick keep him at linebacker and say that's what you played at Vandy? N-
2: no, I, I think he's a linebacker. Yeah, I, I mean that four five that four five three speed all of a sudden isn't near as fantastic of an asset. At safety. True. It's true. all of a sudden a little bit more of a detriment if you're having to, you know, guard tight ends very consistently on seam routes yeah. or having to pick up wide receivers. So I I would I don't know. I, I'm not saying that his size is going to be like a complete detriment to him, but that is one of the reasons that he's not a second it's or not, third it's round not guy a pro. with the production it, and it's yeah. not a yeah. pro that
1: you talk about with him. Pros and cons. You you mm-hmm. don't really mention his size. You know, I mean well, in the I, SEC.
3: Think, I think to where he's gonna sort of make his bread and butter. Um, he's good in coverage, but they're gonna use him primarily, probably as a pass rusher. Like that's that, gonna be yeah. his. That's gonna be his mo. And at a position that's in a, a premium, and not just the NFL, but all the all football. Um, if you get a guy who can rush the quarterback, um, I think you have to stick him there. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously, they they all be times he'll he'll draw back in coverage. That's just that's just the job of a linebacker, but predominantly he's going
1: to be on the field to get to the quarterback. You throw his tape on, guys, (laughs) it's been pretty impressive. I mean, just watch that Hawaii game and keep your eyes on Anthony. I mean, every game, you know, but that Hawaii game going back to that one, even a lot of sec games, the Tennessee game, every time he plays Tennessee, that the kids everywhere. So he he'll get drafted. I I really believe so. I know we've been knocking on wood there, but I think that would be a a really good sort of start to Clark Lee's uh, NFL, you know, production, NFL talent production. I know we've seen Alan, Alan George, uh, you know, was up there. He's, He's, he's put guys from Notre Dame in the NFL, but this would be a really good start. Uh, a guy like Anferny, and and you know he he obviously had a phenomenal career. We'll we'll continue continue to track Anfernee and, and his progress there in the combine and then through the draft process. But guys, let's get to this Kentucky game. First win at Rupp Arena since two thousand seven. Vandy sixty eight, number twenty three Kentucky. I didn't even know they were ranked until like that morning. I was like, oh, they're ranked. Uh, not anymore. 68-66 <laughs> win over Vandy or over Kentucky for Vandy. Vandy's now 17-13. That record's starting to look a little bit better, guys. 10-7 in the SEC. They've won seven of their last eight. And Kentucky, meanwhile, they are 1-3 on senior night since 2021. So they used to be something. They used to never lose on senior night. But the last couple of years, they're 1-3 on senior night. So they continue to struggle. Only the third win at Rupp Arena in the last 52 tries, like we mentioned. They had lost 14 straight, guys. I mean – This doesn't happen. Vandy doesn't beat Kentucky at Rupp. This is one of those things that doesn't happen, and and they did it. It's it's insane. Third win over ranked team this season, most since 2017. They've reached 10 conference wins, first time since 2017. We keep bringing up that year, 2017. uh, Obviously a phenomenal year. Guys, Jordan Wright We talked about him already. Hit the go-ahead jumper with about 2.6 seconds left. Reeves went down, missed the shot. You know, We all think that was a pretty good look. I know a lot of hearts probably dropped there uh, from the black (laughs) and gold nation. But, guys, Jordan right after the game said, this is a game we knew that we had to win to keep our hopes alive for March Madness. We we let one get away at LSU, so we knew we had to come down here and get this one. I'm not going to say this was just another game because this was a huge game for us. It was a win that we needed. So, guys, you hear that a lot from players – they don't admit that, no, this is just another game. You know, that this is, you know, we're playing Kentucky and Lexington. We're treating this like any other game. They weren't. They went up to Lexington to beat Kentucky and and they did it. And you could see it, guys, all throughout the night. I mean, they played with their heads on fire uh, and, and you could really see it. Ezra Magnon, guys, late when he brought the ball up the court, it looked like Stack was going to call a timeout there. But, you know, he, he handed the ball to Wright, Ezra did, who said, give me the ball. Jordan just said, "Give me the ball, coach. Trust me in that moment." I just got to my spot and made the shot. That's what he said after the game. So, guys, Jordan Wright won that game. I mean, you know, you it, lot, great defensive effort. I thought Q and B played really well, but I mm-hmm. keep going back to Jordan Wright and and his his journey to this moment. This is the Jordan Wright game that we had we had sort of been been looking for. Uh, I mean, a career night you know, in Lexington at Rupp Arena. It doesn't get much better than that, Will. I mean, that, that's what you ask of a guy. Um and I know we talked about Jordan a lot but man I I just I can't I can't stop harping on it because if he doesn't have that good of a night Vandy doesn't win. You know if he misses a couple more buckets they may not win. But he hit the shots when they needed him to and you know he got it done. So I not not uh not a whole lot else to say about Jordan Wright. Well,
2: just a weird feeling after this game. Like every range of emotion that you can kind of have as a fan. Because you have, you just beat Kentucky for the first time in, since 2007. You, in in Rupp, you, like, you've, you have your star player who has announced he's out for the season. But also this guy who has been through the toughest time in this program's history finally has his moment and his his moment that we've been waiting on yeah so you have the liam robbins injury that he's out for the rest of the year so pretty much you know that the sec tournament run i'm not trying to put it down or this was a great win from the team but you know the back of your mind that this team could make a run they're hot late in the year and can win the sec tournament and get a bid that way to the ncaa tournament and and do that that's kind of out of the window or out the window now uh Mm -hmm. but then you go back to beating kentucky I mean, you can hang your hat. This team is won seven out of their last eight. That is impressive, even though you lost LSU. That's definitely improvement from last year. So you have that aspect to it. And then you have the part of you that inevitably looks back at the LSU game and says, what if? What if they would have beaten LSU? Well, I don't think it would have mattered, honestly, looking at what happened after this Kentucky game. Uh, I think it was my dad actually on Twitter said that Vanderbilt in the first NCAA net rankings was 119, and that was in December or whenever they released that. And from then on, you've seen how the season has played out. Vanderbilt has only moved up to 84. They were never making the tournament. I mean, they, they had decided their fate before conference play basically ever decided that's, unless that's they went where something I, yeah. insane. Yep. That's the frustration that I think you felt at your core when you woke up and saw they'd only moved three spots in the net rankings trevor i said you know you, you know you didn't want to harp on it and you just wanted to enjoy the win so i tried to do that uh last night i did that last night but when i woke it's, up this morning hard. curiosity it's, it's curiosity difficult. killed me that and
4: curiosity
3: yeah, i saw it. the joey dwyer tweet and i i was in the I actually you had have to, to go laugh. into work today, but I saw the Joey Dwyer team. While I was waiting on my Dunkin' Donuts this morning, and I literally just like wanted to pound my head into the steering wheel that they only moved
1: up <laughs> a couple spots. But I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's where that's where they're at, though. Like, yeah, I I, I know they, yeah, maybe they could be at seventy four instead of eighty four. But Will, you're hundred percent right. The numbers don't lie with this team right now. I mean, yeah, mm. maybe maybe they could be a little bit closer, but. You lose to Gramley, state at home, Southern Miss at home and you lose to an LSU team. That's what 2 150 right now in the net. So I hate saying it guys, I really do. Because we're going to we're going to celebrate this win, but you know, they did it to themselves. And, and I, you know, I deep down I hate saying it, but when you look at the numbers, they really don't lie.
2: They yeah. they really don't. Look, it, it's I'm not, a different I'm not saying that. mindset. It's a different mindset that coaches have to get in because traditionally basketball is a tournament sport. So at the beginning of the year, you sacrifice the best performances to kind of get your team together and figuring out the issues that lie within figuring out the best rotations, who, who can play well with who giving guys early in the season minutes that otherwise they wouldn't get. And then later in the year, that rotation tightens down and you're only playing seven, eight guys by tournament time. And that's normal at every single level. But mm-hmm. now, with with the metrics that are used, not just the NCAA net rankings, that's the ones that get a lot of attention, but this equal weighting from beginning to end, coaches have to recognize you can't do that anymore. That's what yeah. Stack was doing. Stack, yeah. 10 years ago, is doing exactly what you should do. And I'm not putting him at fault. This is kind of weird no, that we're yeah. even talking about it like yeah. this, but... You sacrificed early in the year, playing some weird rotations, doing odd things. That now, when Liam Robbins goes down, and you have to play five out with Miles Studi guard- guarding Oscar Sheboy. You can somehow pull off that victory. You're you're at your peak of diversity right now to win games in a short stretch of time, aka tournament basketball. And you can get hot for stretches, which is why weighted in used to be the last ten. Because teams, you know, momentum carries over in basketball. Well, that doesn't matter mm-hmm. anymore. That yeah. Grambling State loss weights. And even though this team is a completely different team than they were when they played Grambling State, that loss equates and hurts them more than the Kentucky win, the Tennessee win, and the Auburn win combined. And that's just how these rankings kind of play out. And it's not that it, it's not that I agree with them. But it just right, is, yeah. and we it's, got a lot yeah, of just, we got a lot of attention for being negative about that. I want to get back to the Kentucky game. It was great, yeah. but we're I mean, just it, to stay it's like here. we knew what like, was going to happen yeah. because right. it's the analytic stats. It's like the numbers don't lie, Billy. You said that the numbers don't lie. Yeah. Vanderbilt right now is the definition of the numbers lying. I mean, their wins, who they have beaten, well, everything I, I tell I, you I say traditionally. That, I, I know you. I, I'm spinning it right yeah, now. Okay, what okay. you said. I'm spinning what you said a little bit. The numbers don't lie. You said it in another way. But right now, traditionally, eight years ago, which I think we're all still in the mindset of, they have the resume building wins. Really, if you don't do this stupid quarter system, which is my number one gripe uh, with the entire net rankings, it's the quarter system that weights so heavily home and away. It's way too much. It's awful. But (sighs) the numbers lie. I completely lost my train of thought there, but the numbers lie. <laughs> With
1: well, I, I here, here I back to but that. the number is going
2: off in the background and completely I, derailed me.
1: That's okay. I say the numbers lie in terms of of where they're at in the in the committee's eyes. Like that, that's what you know. I'm okay. What I was
2: getting at is the numbers lie because they don't even have any awful losses. Like everybody points to Grambling State. Just look at Grambling State. Go look up their games on ESPN. Look at their record. Look where they're sitting in that conference and look where they are in the quote-unquote Q4. They are barely a bottom, even if they are anymore. Uh, They're in the top 200. I mean, but that's still a Q4 loss. The Southern Miss game people keep talking about. Southern Miss is a top 100 team in the NCAA net rankings. That is not what's dragging them down at all. It was at home, but that's not as detrimental. It, It really is when you look back at their schedule. It is the grambling state loss at home and then the scoring margin. It's that even this Kentucky game is a two point win is that they that last factor weighted in and then Vanderbilt's overall consistency and efficiency, which is heavily weighted into the team value index or whatever, is just it's all bad. But when you look at their just resume building wins and their win percentage and their RPI, who's beaten who, even though that's not used anymore, they look pretty good. And so that's the only reason that they're an interesting team right now. If they can close out, beat Mississippi State, they have that Kentucky win in people's minds recently, win a game in the SEC tournament. I mean, people are going to look at that as maybe something that can spur change or at least a little bit of tweaking to how This process is done because right now just using the metric and overall analytics that there needs to be something changed because right now it feels like basically you can only move so far up once you have certain losses on your resume which basketball is different than football how these net rankings are designed feels like something that should rate football teams to me At least. And, and I don't know, I don't have the answer, but I don't think the NCAA net rankings combined with these other basically exactly the same ranking systems like Ken Palm and KPI and BPI, which all rank Vanderbilt 83, 84, 84, 83, like, what kind of diversity of rankings are you providing to the committee when it ranks every team basically in the exact same spot? So we can get back to the Kentucky game now if you'd like to, or we can keep going down this train. I I apologize, uh, guys.
1: No, you're good. We're going to get a lot more into that and Vandy's tournament chances. We got a lot of good questions from fans and comments and everything, so we'll dive back into that. Trevor, to your Kentucky reaction on it. We haven't really gotten a bunch of it, but happy reaction. (laughs) Happy Happy. reaction is this – I mean, what a win. Um,
3: Does it mean more to me personally than the Tennessee win? No, but I think that's just because it was Tennessee. Nonetheless, this was – to beat a Kentucky team like this in Rupp is a program-building win. I think this is something that you can look back on and that you can hang your hat on. And I think even right now going into the SEC tournament – I think this sort of win at Rupp this late in the season gives this team a sort of um, even more of a swagger than they probably already have whenever it, they probably think of the fact of like, okay, come tournament time, whoever we get lined up against, there's no team in the tournament that we should be scared of exciting mean, Alabama, but they're the, I mean, they're, you can make the argument they're one of the best teams in basketball up there with, up there with houston but yeah i mean if you don't get matched up with alabama if you're this vanderbilt team coming off uh this win against kentucky i think in your mind you're like there's nobody who can beat us or at least we can play up against anybody especially on a neutral court especially whenever it's in your backyard um now it'll probably be taken over by kentucky fans like every tournament has been since its inception um but I think this is a huge, huge win for, for Vanderbilt. I think this is a huge win for Jerry. This is a huge win for the program in general. Um, I mean, I really don't think there's enough positive things you can say about it, especially against the backdrop of losing your best player early in Liam. Um, God bless him, man. What a what a incredible season, a historic season. I mean, Liam Robbins will go down as um, one of the best. I've seen some people make the argument the best big man in Vanderbilt history. Um, I mean, he's, he's up. Uh, he's up there. He's up there. I I don't want to say he is, but I'm kind of leaning towards the he
2: is because well, we've never it, seen a big. It's mis-actual. the same problem that uh, Scottie Pippen Jr. would have in discussing any of those things is something with the magic of those guys is tied to you know success and it doesn't take anything away from what Liam has done because he's improved yeah. the program obviously like mm-hmm. they have won while he has been there. It's not like I'm diminishing that at all but you you definitely lose something when you don't have the moments in the tournament settings yeah. uh with yeah. with fans associating and I that's not necessarily fair. Uh, But just when you say that, I immediately go like, oh, one of the best. And then I start really thinking about it. And I'm like, man, with what he brought to the table and how important he was to the team. I mean, that loss is brutal. But somehow, I want to ask this question to you, Billy. In a weird way, does the LSU loss kind of soften the blow of the Liam Robbins being out for the rest of the season?
1: Uh, Because you know, in a way, does that
2: eliminate... Any tournament chances, or like if we could have made a run, does that soften I, that?
1: I think a little bit. I think a little bit it does. Like obviously, um, this
2: is on a fan level and not on a personal level for Liam. Yeah, we'll yeah. Get that out first. Like no, I'm not I mean, saying I, that. Like obviously, <laughs> regardless, no. I I, I
1: get I get what you're saying, and, and you know I, I think the LSU loss, they're they're. It's weird thinking about the positives that come from it but I think if if you know if you beat LSU you you, you maybe you don't beat Kentucky you know if, if I, there's things like that where Clark Lee talked about Butterfly it during the football effect. season yeah where you know if they if they don't lose to South Carolina maybe they don't go on the road and beat Kentucky it, it's certain things like that where you know everything happens for a reason sort of thing but no well I I totally see what you're saying I, I think Liam going down has its pros and cons number one you play with a different lineup that SEC teams haven't seen, really. I mean, you saw a lineup at the end of that game without QMB. Miles Studi was playing the five. I mean, (laughs) and they won the game. Like, that's what's insane about it. Like, this team won the game with Miles Studi playing the five, and Kentucky, they hit they were lost. They didn't know what to do. Sheboy, I mean, Sheboy dominated, guys. 21 points, 20 rebounds. I don't know why he didn't get a touch every possession down the stretch, especially with QMB and foul trouble. You've got Studi trying to bang with him down low, and it's like, how are they not giving Sheboy a touch? So that's on the Kentucky side, but no, well, I, I totally see what you're saying there. Um, and I think some Vandy fans would agree with you and say, yes, it it probably does soften the blow a little bit, but from a personal standpoint, you hate saying that because Liam has done so much and um, you know, you just hate it for him. He, he's dealt with so many injuries throughout his career, not just at mm-hmm. Vanderbilt. And, and he really fought to get to this point. Uh, you know, he fought to get back to, to try to get Vanderbilt into the tournament and, he might do it. He he almost has done. I mean, he's close to to doing it. Single handedly, like yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look at and and that's another thing, guys. You just hope it doesn't affect his opportunities in the NBA at all. Mm-hmm. Like I I really totally. hope it it, it doesn't. Yep. Um, just from a personal standpoint. And, and Trevor, I texted you about this. You know, Stack's official quotes and you know i tweeted this from the doorport right after i saw your your tweet i and stackhouse said after the game with kevin ingram on the radio show he said it's so disappointing for him it's a lower leg injury that's probably going to sideline him for the rest of the season that that's I mean, those are that's heartbreaker yeah that's that's directly from stackhouse's mouth and and of course you know we we tweeted out that um we probably should have said likely but you know we wouldn't ha- went ahead and said he's out for the season because you know he most likely is but guys i mean Stackhouse said, "Keep him in your prayers, and and you know, really, amen to that, because he he gave his his this team everything he had, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they're going to play for him. You know, I think that's one thing we saw. Would you ever have guessed in in your wildest dreams that Liam Robbins goes down four minutes into Vanderbilt's road game at Rupp Arena, they find a way to win? Would you have ever imagined that? Not. Me. I thought it
2: was over when he went down. I was like, all right, just turn it off, pack it up. It's ball game." <laughs> I'm still looking at the box score and kind of like how, how did they do it? I mean, they were out rebounded 48 to 35. Kentucky shot 50, under 16% from three, shot Ballful. under 33% yeah. on the game. And Vanderbilt didn't exactly light up the scoreboard. They shot no. 33% from three and 40% from the field. It was not a very pretty game. Uh, ugly, you could describe it as, but. I'd still look at this, even with the free throw attempts, like nothing about this game, if you just looked at the box score and just quickly glanced at the percentages and attempts would tell you that Vanderbilt won this game in Rupp Arena. So it was like I was watching like a dream, like I was watching in a haze during during the game when I was watching the broadcast. It was just like, what in the world? It was was everything kind of bouncing. QMB hitting a three. At the end of the half, the Tyron Lawrence three at the end of the shot clock from like 35, <laughs> 40 feet that just oh. died on the after back of the rim. After in. that, after that, yeah. after that
1: three, I was like, okay, this is officially. Yeah, there's some weird. magic like, in the air, yeah. and then
2: Jordan Wright even kind of slipped and stumbled uh, on on the turnaround that he hit, and when it should have been, a, was, it should have been a walk. Or a track, uh, it it was
3: this. i'm it shocked was one, they didn't call it no, no.
1: It, it was one of those calls where it's a 50-50 call for a ref if you if you call the travel Vanderbilt fans are going to be irate
3: if i but that's Vanderbilt like, co- it,
2: if if it was the that other was side, such like a I'd Vanderbilt thing
3: for it to him, happen though that's yes. why i was shocked like whenever i saw him slip i was like oh my god they're they're about to blow the whistle and then if, if you didn't and I didn't even celebrate. I was kind of confused. I was like, wait a second. Did they just let that ball? <laughs> like, what is going on here?
1: It's like Kentucky fans were stunned, too. Like, they, there was like half the crowd was, was motioning travel. The other half was like, what just happened?
2: <laughs> like, like celebrate. I was like, Ugh. Was, I Like, the more I watch it, the more I'm not sure. And I don't know if I want to continue to watch and analyze uh, because I'm not sure I like the outcome of watching and analyzing the move. It's a 50-50 so call. To- I'm just going to imagine it in my mind that he just took one step and then he turned around, magically planted <laughs> both feet and then shot that turnaround. Baby. That's the best so part. That's a, just, that's the Yeah. yeah that's clean. the
1: best that's the best part about the shot. Vandy fans all over Twitter everywhere. No one was saying, "Oh, that might have been a travel," but every Kentucky fan was like, "That's a travel," you know. So that's the best part about sports right there. Um referees but... can't save you this time, you bums. <laughs> <laughs> The, cra- the crowd was stunned and, and they were loud there too it, it's it's just incredible the the fact that they were able to win that game uh, guys Tyron Lawrence we haven't talked a lot about him he played really well he was getting to the rim 21 points he was 9 of 14 from the field two of three from three uh he led the team with seven rebounds too I mean he was everywhere guys he had a he had some like Euro steps and and, and nice finishes where it's like, it's like Kentucky Defenders were surprised he could do that you know and and that's how Jordan I felt was most of the night where oh he just did that like he spun like eight times and then finished like is there's certain moves where you're like okay stackhouse's imprint is on this team you know where they have developed a little bit to to find ways to score Quentin Malore Brown yeah it's ten points made his first career three like you said well he didn't miss a shot he was, was he that was three a, was
2: awesome that was that was it was that the three high was target. awesome man <laughs> that was the highest
1: three
3: it. I've ever seen in my life I might've enjoyed that three more than Jordan calling game to be quite (laughs) honest. Shout out to Q and B dude, Q and on stand up guys.
2: (laughs) One of the favorites of the podcast, like that just brought so much joy. And And that was awesome. When that went in, I was like,
1: and he played really well defensively too against Oscar. I thought for the most part, like as good as he could have played, you know, Oscar got what he got, but I thought Q played really tough. He was three or three from the field. He was three of three from the free throw line. He, one of the, one of Q's better games, I, I thought. And Stack said that after the game. So uh, I thought Q played really well. Uh, Will, you mentioned Kentucky. And I want to ask you guys this. We, we hear this all the time when, you know, a Vandy team comes close to beating Kentucky or a Kentucky team loses to a team they shouldn't lose to at home. A lot of SEC analysts and fans go, Oh, Kentucky, they just played awful. They, they didn't shoot the ball well. You know, they, they didn't okay. come to play. They didn't, they didn't respect the opponent. I don't think that was the case. I don't think, and I'm not hearing that from a lot of people. You didn't hear that from analysts and even the announcers. Like, I think Vanderbilt played just well enough to beat Kentucky. They made the shots to beat Kentucky. And I wasn't hearing a whole lot of, you know, oh, Kentucky. And they didn't shoot well, but they played terribly. I mean, you think back and their Mm -hmm. effort defensively Mm -hmm. was awful. And I'm not making an excuse for why Vanderbilt won the game. I think Vanderbilt went out and won the game. But, well, I mean, you, you hear that a lot. You know, you hear that a lot after a Kentucky, you know, loss at home. Of, oh, they didn't respect the opponent. I don't think that was the case. Now, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't see that coming from Bandy. Maybe they didn't respect Vandy. But I thought Vandy outplayed him just enough. You know, yeah, and I don't like think I, you can. Like really I said, say I thought it. I
2: was like watching in a dream. So you probably would have heard seen me more on Twitter, but I felt like there was some there was some some magic. Uh, I would say anger that was proper. On Vanderbilt Twitter at how this game was being talked about at halftime and by the announcers. Shout out to I Matthew didn't, Fisher Davis. I didn't have the volume being, up, by the way. Okay, yeah. I, I did, unfortunately. And Matthew Fisher Davis, shout out to you for just just spewing everything that was in my mind onto Twitter so that he's I he's the didn't most have. passionate Vandy fan on Twitter, honestly. It, it was especially he hates Kentucky. Like that, I, that's yeah. one thing I can guarantee you about him is he hates Kentucky. But It was like everything was about what Kentucky was doing wrong and not about what Vanderbilt was doing to cause Kentucky to make those mistakes. Okay, And that's a very frustrating thing to see that you see all the time. So it's like it almost takes me reading something to even notice it anymore because it's just the constant disrespect. And I'm like, look at the standings. This is not a team that's from Kentucky that's number one in the country. They are one game above Vanderbilt in the conference standings. Like, I know the net rankings, like, put them in the fucking garbage. Like, right now, in the SEC, Vanderbilt can finish uh, with the same record in conference, potentially, as Kentucky. Like, that right there is crazy that this game was talked about the way it was from the announcers, from the halftime crew, and their immediate reaction and all the recaps that I've seen. This wasn't, it was an upset, okay? Vanderbilt was coming off a disappointing loss and then beating Florida, Okay. Ten it was point. an upset and it, yeah. and yeah. added on to it was the Liam Robbins injury. So they Boom. were 10 point underdogs like it was, but just from a pure where they sit in the standings perspective, it was crazy. It was like seeing a team that was two and 13 in conference, walk into Rup and beat <laughs> Kentucky. I was like, you do realize Vanderbilt is tied for fifth could, if everything breaks, right, they could, you know, potentially get a double. It's, five. The, like, it's I, the name on the Jersey. It's yep, the name it's the on, the the on the Jersey. And that is the yep. slant. And that's, that's not why the net rings are where they are, but yeah, I mean the Trevor, what are, where are you on that, Trev? I mean, in terms of the perception
1: of you know analysts, because I you hear it I a mean, lot. Then again, I didn't have the volume up.
3: I I I tell you what, SEC Network should have just let that beeping go instead of uh, <laughs> instead of the the commentary come back. Um, This is just – this is classic uh, SEC basketball bias to where everybody wants to give Kentucky basketball this nice little back massage and uh, act like Slick Rick is still coaching at Kentucky or that uh, John Calipari still has the juice. Um, Breaking news, he doesn't. Uh, Breaking news, guys. Um, Kentucky is a middle-of-the-pack SEC basketball team. They are no longer part of that, the elite. That's a true statement. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't know what to tell. was it? Pat Bradley last night. Was he on? I forget. But whoever Bradley
1: and Slay, right?
3: Oh God, Ron Slay I forgot about him. The fact that or they no, even let him. It was.
1: It. It was Slay. It was Bradley and Patrick Young. That. That's who it was. Patrick
3: Young. I could go on about Ron Slay. The fact that the SEC network even allows him on TV is freaking insane. I. <laughs> I literally will shut off my radio before I listen to Ron Slate in the afternoon. Um, that's, that's so I definitely lesson. don't want to hear him at, at halftime of the SEC basketball games. Um, but Kentucky is the moneymaker of SEC basketball. Um, I mean, it is what it is. Their fans are freaking weirdos. Um, even when they suck, they're going to pack out Whatever gym Kentucky is playing in, and they're going to go into hibernation during baseball and football season, and then they're going to pop out in November again, like they do every year. Um, but C-A-T-S. yeah, just the, just literally just the the constant um, uh, massage that the media gives Kentucky basketball is gross. I feel like it's they, lazy. They make
1: they make the money. They, they make, make the money.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you want the to massaging,
2: out, the massaging, Trevor, where I that, got lost, that massaging
3: is milking the dollars out of these freaking moron Kentucky things. That's what that Where is.
2: where we haven't even hit on yet is the free throw differential. I, I just assumed oh, here that we, go. we would have already gotten it. That's what I was, that when I lost my train of thought earlier and Billy saved me, that's what I was trying to pull up was the free throw <laughs> differential to make sure I had it right because Kentucky was, and granted, you know, some of this is for a good reason, because, you know, Miles Studi fouled Oscar Shibley a few times. And just how Kentucky plays is going to lead to this. But Kentucky shot 25 of 35 from the free throw line. Vanderbilt shot 10 of 13. I know that we were angered about that when Auburn fans were talking about the differential or whatever, but it's reversed this time. So I think that that is another aspect of this that's not being talked about is like, Every part of this game was geared towards Kentucky having the advantage. They had a massive advantage in the free throw differential of this game. And still, people are trying to find excuses as to why Kentucky lost because they were the worst team. Vanderbilt was better than Kentucky on the court. They hit more shots. Yes, Kentucky missed shots. You know what? Sometimes teams miss shots and sometimes teams make shots. And typically when the team makes more shots than you, they win. And that Vanderbilt was the better team in Rupp Arena. And I just don't mm-hmm. know any other way to say it. And I, it's just exhausting to read these these quotes about what has Kentucky done. So I, I think yeah. I'm over
1: well, that we'll and, will, and Kentucky got back into the game and they had an opportunity to win the game. Like yep. there's mm-hmm. a lot, you know, from Kentucky fans – they're like, oh, we just shot the ball poorly. It's like, yeah, you did, but you had a chance. You were down. You lost by two. <laughs> like, I just, I, yeah. you know, you hear that all the time from fans. But, well, I want to counteract something you also said. Uh, and maybe I'm agreeing with you here, but I thought it was a pretty well called game. Like, I didn't think there were those oh, obvious. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah. I, I didn't have any
2: problem you, with it, but right. I'm just saying, like, it yeah. just was.
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it it's rare to, to say that, at, you know, after a Kentucky Vanderbilt game at Rupp Arena, but I thought it was called pretty well. Maybe there were a couple ticky-tack foul calls on Sheboy, but I thought for the most part it was a pretty well-called game. It was a physical uh, wh- game. It was, low. yeah. Now, the yeah. one
2: part I will say was not well refereed was the three-second call on Oscar Sheboy. Yes, he was, yeah, that was obvious. in the pain, yeah. which made Kentucky's offense and his ability to offensive rebound. I cannot yell this enough. This is one of like the three actual notes I had written down is, you know, why Oscar Sheboy is such a good offensive re- rebounder because the entire possession almost he can just plant underneath the basket. And I don't know what deal John Calipari made with the SEC devil uh, where Oscar Sheboy cannot have three seconds called on him. But Jacob Scholl tweeted out a video. I think he at least sent it into yeah. a uh, door report group message, and it was just a video of Sheepway committing a three-second violation like three times in one possession. <laughs> it was it was crazy. And once you started looking for it, it was just more and more and more. So that that's another part of it. Like yeah, there, Jesus. there was outside one of where, that well refereed. There was one where <laughs> initially it looked like. Sheboy fouled
1: Studi on a rebound, but you look back at the replay and Studi like rat, yeah. like strangled him, like pulled his neck back, like a WWE move. I was just laughing after that, but uh, you know, it's so funny. She- I'll say that I feel like Studi does that regularly, and
3: whenever it's not just to called, see what happens, whenever it's not called, I absolutely love it. I think it's <laughs> the coolest thing in Vanderbilt basketball. Whenever look, Studi he committed and- some fouls. <laughs>
2: But yeah, I mean, he held his own to what a lot of people consider outside of maybe Castleton and Robbins and Chibwe. I mean, those were the three, by far, the three best big men in the SEC. If you just I, asked I, a random yeah. poll, Trevor, yeah. I see your face. But I mean, and I Studi, think- he he's not a post, and you just shoved him in there against maybe the best offensive rebounder in the SEC. And yeah, he gave up some fouls, gave up whatever, but he bought them enough time, and I totally that was agree. key.
1: Yeah. I, 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 that's something we can't forget guys. Studi's defense on Shibway. I mean, I know he got bullied a few times and Shibway got some rebounds and buckets over him, but for the most part, Studi did what he could. So I, I thought the defensive effort was just as important as anything they did offensively. And Stackhouse said it after the game, Will you talked about it earlier, how Vanderbilt didn't play, shoot the ball particularly well, but they still found a way to win. And Stackhouse said that after the game, he said, we don't have to play well to win. And and I, you know, it was almost one of those stackisms again. I was like, wait, what? And then I thought about it. I was like, okay, he probably meant shoot well, uh, because I think you do most of the time have to play well to win, but you guys get what I'm saying. Vandy didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but they found a way to gut it out down the stretch. And, uh, it was their determination, guys. I mean, they they weren't losing that game. Um, so, no. uh, any more parting thoughts here? We're gonna get to. We got a lot of fan questions, guys, so, and a lot of it, you know, has to do with his Kentucky game. So uh, we can go ahead and roll into those. Uh, this is presented by Primus Bank. Kennedy Mathis doing a great job writing. Also with Primus Bank, let's start with Art Goldfinger, guys, legendary Vanderbilt fan uh, on Twitter. He said, and we've answered this, but he says, "What is the net and why does it suck so much?" I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> It's where the nerds have ruined. I tweeted out the factors
2: of it today. Actually. Yeah,
1: uh, we've we've answered that. Uh, I I think we've we've shit on the net enough. Uh, Scott Pannier on Twitter asks, is Liam Robbins out for the year? If so, I will cry myself to sleep. I mean, I'll hang up and listen. (laughs) Uh, Scott, he he is Um, now it's not official but Stackhouse said he's likely done for the year, and that typically means he's done for the season. So um, I don't know if you guys – I think you guys agree Liam's done uh, for the also year. Also, typically, whenever a guy mouths, it popped. It popped,
3: yeah. That was – I good. mean, inab- I felt like my heart broke in that moment. I was. It's like, like,
1: oh it's like the TV cameras knew he was about to say it popped because it was the perfect yes. like timing. They cut to oh, it. Oh, my
3: and god. It- yeah that my that's heart him in that moment I was like oh my god
2: my, I'm not I wasn't making a joke when you tweeted I think it was Billy from the Door Report when it when Liam Robbins mouthed it popped it faded to commercial and the Burger King commercial came on and it was like B K yeah. <laughs> and Walmart, that was Walmart, just Walmart, like Walmart, I just Walmart. sat back like I knew I knew but another part of the Liam Robbins injuries he's had some ankle stuff already he right, definitely yeah. has an NBA career or the possibility of a professional basketball future. And so at this point, you don't have NCAA tournament hopes on the line. He's seven foot one. Maybe it's time, you know, if it is something that he could push back from and maybe play through, which we have no idea at this point, I think probably they're going to be overcautious of not having another injury for him. So I think that also probably weighs into it, but I would say he's probably, you know, you saw that it's popped and then Stackhouse saying he's probably, that's that probably is probably a definitely. So unfortunately.
3: And two, even if there, I think even if there was a possibility for him to come back, um, he's literally already given his all to the program. Yeah. Yeah. And so just even like me personally, even if he could, come back i would be which it's not gonna happen but I wouldn't feel like, right dude no dude you've given your all for this program rest up get well, he came for back, the draft he came, he came back, back early from, from his latest injury. and then yeah. he kind of yeah.
2: re-rolled the other or he rolled the other one during that and and once you have one ankle injury, I'm sure that somehow that's slightly correlated to injuring at a different spot. So you have wrap and braces mm-hmm. and different things. You're and overcompensating going different in places. different areas. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's... that's definitely something I would just be really shocked if he comes back to like play in the NIT. That would that would be yeah. so really shocking. That would be the biggest like
1: I'm back moment of all time though if he does.
3: But that no, would, if I, if that did happen hypothetically, you got to put his number in the rafters. Oh,
2: okay. oh, like <laughs> you got to put his number in the
1: rafters. Like start start making the the like start printing it like at that moment. Yes. All right. Uh, Southern Boys Sports Podcast asks: Do you think that the doors can continue their hot streak slash recent success throughout the SEC tournament and punch their ticket to the dance? I'll I'll not start without, there.
2: Not without Lamron.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's where we're at. Um, yeah. You know, I think the overly optimistic Vandy fan would say, hell yeah, you know, of course we can. Um, but I think the more reasonable Vanderbilt fan would say, hmm, we don't have Liam Robbins. If we win that first round SEC game, we're probably going to have to face either Tennessee uh, or a Missouri or an A&M. That's, you know, that's not going to be easy on a neutral floor. Uh, not also saying no can't... lead door. Right. Well, we don't know yet. I, I think Stack said he might be back for the SEC tournament. Oh. So, yeah. So, that we'll see. We'll but hit. That's another aspect to this, guys. I think Lee Dort potentially coming back in Nashville for the SEC tournament would be, you know, I don't know about huge, but it would be, you know, an extra be guy behind lose. QMB. Well, yeah. right
2: now, I think, like, I don't think that they can do that without Liam Robbins. I mean, he is. I mean, one game playing with kind of that energy of band of brothers coming together right. using yeah. weird lineups. That that works once, maybe twice, they can have energy against Mississippi State and close it out on senior night and and something special can happen. But unless we, and Lee Dort coming back could maybe help them win. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it's a zero percent chance because anytime I say well, maybe I should say it's a we've 0% we've doubted this we've
1: doubted this team so many times. Yeah. Anytime I say there's yeah.
2: no chance, so I'm gonna say it and say I, there's a hundred percent
1: chance. I,
2: I truly believe from the bottom of my heart, and this is not a joke, like Vanderbilt has 0% chance to win the SCC tournament without Liam Robbins. I'm putting that out on record. It's my real feeling, and I'm not going to say why I'm putting that out on record, but it is actually <laughs> how I feel. Um, and Terrific. Lee Dort coming back could provide a little bit of depth because right now with QMB – is you're basically your only five i mean malik dia kind of can play studi. five but at some point in a tournament yes yeah, studio <laughs> some point in a tournament night. setting like you're gonna get yeah. in foul trouble dude like QMP su- like let- qmb is gonna get in foul trouble in a tournament stretch and then you just can't survive without a consistent five man and imagine if him and dia were both in foul trouble and then you're just stuck with the five the five guards there's no closing it out with anybody else you have no other posts i mean it's literally gone from like the deepest position on the team to the thinnest position on the team in the stretch of a month welcome to vanderbilt basketball
1: and the only thing i didn't like about matthew fisher davis's twitter account last night was the fact that he publicly like shamed malik dia he said he's killing us and i was like the dude's a freshman He's like and he pl- barely he's, played any minutes. Yeah, he's playing. At, he's playing at Rupp Arena trying to guard Oscar Sheavey. Like, what are you? Yeah, what you he's want? giving what
3: you... us all out there, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anybody, anybody saying Malik Dia was killing Vandy, it's like, all right, let's cut the guy some slack. He's a freshman. It's, I mean, it's um, trial
3: by fire. I mean, that's quite literally throwing him in the Lions Den and being like, hey, man, just yeah, <laughs>
1: do your best.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I mean,
1: yeah. All right, let's get to Michael here. He said, who would you prefer to play in the quarterfinals if Vandy makes it? Kentucky or Tennessee? I feel like it's Tennessee now that they don't have Zakai Ziegler. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point. That's Um, a great point. I, I think that's a good point because you look at Tennessee right now, they're a longer lineup, but they can't score. Tennessee can't score. Vandy can score. I know they don't have Liam, but with a guy like Jordan, if he plays like he did at Rupp Arena, Vandy's going to be tough to beat. You still got to have that supporting cast of Lawrence and those guys, but um I from a Vandy fans perspective, I would say Tennessee. Uh, I don't know about I you. I think guys.
3: too with Tennessee, the Zakai Ziegler was a great point. I think too whenever now that now that Liam's out, you have to look and see um where are the if, matchups. Yeah, you, which you don't have the option, but matchups specifically at big. Oscar Sheboy, great big. Uh Euro's uh Plavich. Plapsitch. what he sucks. Um, He's not good at the game of basketball. Um, I would feel very confident with Q&B on him. I would feel very confident with uh, 80% Lee Dort. Um, And so I think Vandy fans, I would love that matchup. I think that's a winnable matchup, simply because whenever you look at one through five, I think you could give the edge to Vanderbilt and specifically where Vanderbilt, like you said, Will, is the most thin, Tennessee freaking stinks. That guy sucks. Um, <laughs> he's just not good.
1: And you don't have to want to play Kentucky in a neutral site and in Nashville again. Oh, God. I, I'm yeah. not saying they can't beat Kentucky again, but, Will, you don't want to have to play Kentucky in the SEC tournament.
2: Yeah, I was just looking at all the different kind of ways this can fall. Uh, but yeah, there's no doubt Tennessee, especially after you beat Kentucky, there is just something about that in basketball. Uh, I mean, I know you beat Tennessee on the last second buzzer beater, but the injury is, is the difference, but the turnaround of just beating them in Rupp. So, you know, you're not just the basketball gods are not going to shine down upon you twice and have Kentucky shoot those percentages. It's just not going to happen there. There's, I know that's not true in like any data you would run, but I know it in my heart of hearts. So, The injury, of course, which you don't wish that upon anybody, but obviously that makes Tennessee even more beatable, Uh, an opponent that Vanderbilt has already beaten. So now Vanderbilt has the injury to Liam and Tennessee has the injury to Ziegler. So uh, it kind of I don't want to say it evens out because I think Liam is probably a bigger piece uh, to Vanderbilt's offensive production than Ziegler. I could be wrong, Uh, but to me, he is but I still think yeah. that that's a better matchup for Vanderbilt for an entire game, uh, especially with just how big Sheboy uh, would play a factor and yeah. and just absolutely in tournament basketball, it would be really tough to deal with them.
1: And guys, that Vanderbilt, there's a potential for a Friday night Vanderbilt-Tennessee matchup at Bridgestone. There's that potential because if Vandy gets the six, if Vandy gets the six seed and Tennessee has the three seed, Vandy just has to win that game, that that first game, and move on to play Tennessee on a Friday night for a potential spot in the NCAA tournament. How about that for a little <laughs> chills for Vandy fans? I mean, that that's, I, I would be in there like white on rice. Like I would, <laughs> and, like I, <I'd, laughs>
3: I would be in Bridgestone.
1: And I think, I think that's a game that would have a, a like underrated crowd there because Tennessee mm-hmm. fans travel. Well, Vandy fans like, hell, we'll, we're going to that, you know? I mean, it's in Nashville. Yeah, oh yeah. So, just just to shine a little light on that as as we move on here we got a question about Malik Dia i, I know you know I, we were sticking up for him there christopher asks a pretty good question he says what does dia have to do to be ready for the rest of this season he he looked lost wednesday night he looked like a guy that never expected to play but if this team has a chance without robbins or dort dia is the guy that must step up to avoid the small lineup stackhouse was forced to use i think that's a really good question his his question is what does he have to do to be ready for the rest of the season? I think the only thing he can do is shoot the ball. Well, play more now. Well, yeah, he's got to play more. But, yeah. He's got to use. Yeah. But guys, I mean, I mean you saw, you saw, well, you saw the Kentucky game at home. He made what three threes. Like if he does that, that's massive.
2: There, there's one thing that will make Malik DIA uh, be a lot better of a player um and it's very he's not going to be playing in rup arena against oscar Sheboy, and that for him is a nightmare matchup because coming in you know malik dia lacks a polished post game he's got the unique ability of a big man to step out and stretch the floor uh, which is a unique skill but you knew the reason he was a three-star coming in and he wasn't a four or five star guy was he didn't have a polished post game he wasn't you know he wasn't Oscar Sheboy. He's the exact opposite coming in that Oscar Sheboy was. Like Malik Dia is the opposite of Festus Ezeli, like coming in. Like yeah. he has all the finesse on the outside. He can handle the ball. That's usually the part that's a struggle for a big. He's a six foot nine guard. So it's just the matchups and what you're doing. I mean, there are going to be spots that he's going to be a freshman. There's nothing he can do to prepare. I mean, at this point, you are where you are within the team. I mean, if you're trying to prepare going into tournament basketball at the end of the season, like, dude, you've missed the boat. Yeah. So it's just going to be matchups right now. And I mean, (laughs) if Studi can hold his own against Sheboy, I mean, that is definitely not Studi's game and, and never should be Studi's game trying to defend a five man but yeah, that's pretty and- much it. It's like she, he's going to be used in better spots than that, and that was just a nightmare. And Christopher says
1: towards the end there, he says, in order to avoid the small lineup, Vandy fans, you're going to have to get used to a small lineup. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's yep. there's, there's no avoiding a small lineup from here on number out. Number one, QMB
2: avoid foul trouble, and that's right, the number yeah. one.
1: Right, this should really be about QMB, stay out of foul trouble. Um, but for Dia, the only thing I'd say, guys, is – Work on your pick and pop three, because if you can hit that, that's I mean, he could I mean, because he can shoot. He can make that shot, guys. So that would be the only thing I say to Dia is work on that pick and pop
2: for the amount. I There's just something about QMB being placed in this critical, pivotal position. There's something with the about the amount it. that we have spent, the amount of time we've spent talking about I'm, I'm with you. backup Mark. post on this team. There's something about him just being placed in these critical moments late he in the steps season. Up. Like Barry yeah, yeah. in the three to the end of the half. He's going to he be placed in those it. moments again. Mr. Mm-hmm. Consistency. Anybody <laughs> goes down, any problem with the team. You know he's going to be Cornerstone. there. Cornerstone. QMB is going to be there. He's he's strapping yep. him up. Double knee sleeves, double compression knee sleeves, baby. <laughs> he's barely making it up and down the court. And he's uh, still dude. walling up. Bodying up, ready Q- to and do B- it. Q and B is a dude who's got you in hell at a
3: YMCA game. Dude. <laughs> Q <laughs> and B Q and B's got you in an absolute rear naked chokehold at the Y. We've
2: said it before, but like he's he could dude, he can affect another player in a way that's so much different than even like a great shit talker because I know Q will like talk, but I know he's not going back and forth all game. He's just no, being no. physical. He's just Whenever I see every Q&B time on the floor, you set a screen, he is going to hammer you. Like, you know, when you post, <laughs> you are going to get a perfect wall up with his entire chest <laughs> and weight just direct into that cement brick wall of Quentin Moore Brown. Like it's, incredible. he's like that.
1: He's like that, that, Players coach in high school that like take a charge. He'll take the charge. Like he, like he's that. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. Like, like Stackhouse, that's a great comparison. Like that's q b guys. But his offensive game, and part of me feels weird saying this, but the guy's gotten better offensively. He I mean, improved so much. Like, he has. Yes, I remember right when he got on campus, I was like, "What in the crap is that guy doing in a Vanderbilt uniform?" Um, yeah, but he he's made uh, he's made a lot of progress, guys. Uh, let's get to we got a question from Vandy dude. He says, how do you think Vanderbilt will continue without Robbins? We've, we've kind of gotten, we've gotten to that. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything about, you know, what, 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 how does Vandy attack a team like Mississippi state without Robbins? We can get to that later, but
2: you know, I, we've, we've sort of
1: ran through that a lot of that. I
2: mean, you gotta have, you gotta have Tyron Lawrence step up and keep doing what he's been doing. I mean, I think he's like the silent, consistent guy i mean he put up a quiet 20...
1: 21 yeah
2: yeah a very quiet yeah. 21 he seems to do that a lot we seem to say yeah. that about tyrant a lot not in the tennessee mm-hmm. game made a big splash there with that he'll score but other than like, that it's like he'll score when you're not watching time, like he'll
1: score yeah. when you go to the bathroom it's like oh, some of like those finishes
2: in. are so difficult and it's yeah. like if any other player he makes them look so easy it's like some of the stuff that scotty would do last year and and liam would do uh, occasionally, but Tyron does it all the time. Where it's like go, you know, beating his man off the dribble, and then mm-hmm. left off hand coming up, kind of a weird angle off the backboard, and he's so good at finishing. So Tyron Lawrence just needs to continue to play well, and uh, then you got to have somebody else step up. And is it Jordan going to be Jordan Wright every night? Probably not, based on what we've seen. But it's got to be somebody i mean trevor billy who do you think it's got to be miles has got to
3: get one
4: for sure i
3: was fixing it's, to say i i have i have a feeling deep 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 in my bones it's not based on logic and reason reasoning um nothing i have said on this pod is it a ever long time has has <laughs> ever been based and in, in in logical uh reasoning i don't use statistical analysis i have not since college um I have a feeling deep in my bones that Miles Studi is going to have a breakout game very soon. I shoot or shoot, he shoots, he's cold. All it takes is one shot to get hot. I have a feeling that Miles Studi. Will, that's your whenever, guy right there. Whenever he does it, he's going to be sticking his tongue out. He's going to be mm-hmm. just yanking dudes in the back of the head. And he's gonna get a dumb foul and we're all gonna be super angry on Twitter, but it's gonna be awesome because that's the Miles Studi experience. And
2: quite frankly, I love it. It is. I mean, also Trey Thomas has not been shooting great. I mean he had a lot of really good looks against Kentucky. I remember a lot of he had one
3: last night that he missed that I was uh, it was like I think.
2: It was on a, a minute, minute and a half left.
3: Right, right wing. Yeah, late in the game. Oh my god, he missed that, and I was like, Oh my god, we lost.
2: That was a gorgeous play from Jerry Stack outside of that timeout. Like yes. I like to give credit on those, and that was beautiful. It had me looking the other way, and then poof, Trey Thomas was wide open, and he missed it. Yeah. I think he was like 0 for seven. I could be wrong. Yeah, it, it was. It
1: was not. Running. It was not Trey Thomas's night. Yeah, but, but Trey. That Trey's... is the
2: part, Trevor. Sorry, there's the. No, you're good. Who I don't know who asked it earlier. The question that was like. Could Vandy punch their ticket? I'm like, the non-logical, non-data knowing this isn't true. Like, there's so many guys that are due. Like, due for yes. a game. And it's like, that the is not a data. Like, that, yeah, doing... it's like, Trey Thomas at some point is going to be hot. And Miles Studi at some point you would think is going to be hot. It hasn't happened recently. Is it going to happen in Mississippi State? Well, if it doesn't happen in the Mississippi State game, there's just tournament ball left. So does it never happen? Or are they going to get hot in the SEC tournament?
1: That's the thing. We haven't seen that yet. A little excitement. I I like it. We haven't seen it. Do we see it in Nashville? Who knows? Uh, Let's go to Luke. Really good question here. Should Stackhouse be in the SEC coach of the year running? And I know you guys might have laughed at that. Um, I think he's closer to that than a lot of people think. I think Dennis Gates is the guy right now at Missouri. What he's done there has been phenomenal. Other than Gates, you know, maybe Nate Oates, maybe not. No. But like, what Stack, <laughs> what 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 Stackhouse has done, what what Stackhouse has done, you know, shouldn't be for like forgotten this year. Just sort of thrown away, you know, by not just Vandy fans but SEC fans. Like, I think that's, I think SEC fans are starting to take notice of what he's done. Now there's still work to be done, and I'm not saying he's a lockdown. He should be SEC Coach of the Year, but I think he's closer to that you know, to the top of that list than some people might say. Now, y'all might disagree and, you know, one win over Kentucky, like, you know, before the Kentucky game, we're, we weren't even really talking about that. Like, I, I think some people need to maybe pump their brakes a little bit. Uh, I know you beat Kentucky at Rupp, but, you know, this season's not over. So, I, I say you know, he's closer than y'all think, but you know, what do you think? I, I know you you weren't really a big fan.
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I will say this about Stackhouse. I was off the fence. I was on the fence. I'm I'm You're sort of like- convoluted. I'm in the middle somewhere. I I would like to state publicly now. Publicly. I'm not back I'm not back on Jerry. I'm not back on Jerry. But I like Jerry. Hmm. And I said If they don't make the tournament, I want him out. It's just me being a fan. I'm willing to have him back next season. I think what he's done with this pro Now, this may all change Saturday if we lose to Mississippi State. And because (laughs) I am so incredibly manic and irrational, I might want to dissolve the basketball program. So just take this at face value. Um, I mean, what he's done this year. Um, he, I don't. He's not coach of the year. Um, as much as I would like a Vanderbilt head basketball coach to win, I see coach of the year. He's not. I think you're right. I think it's Gately. Um, Gates. Yeah. He's Gates. Sorry. He's done really, really well with this program, especially after losing your number one scoring um, score in Scottie Pippen Jr. last year. So yeah. I'm off. I'm on. I love him. I hate him. I don't know. He's it's done. A... He's he's proven a lot. He's proven a lot. Uh, and he's had a really, really good season. And especially whenever it matters the most, late February, early March. I mean, he sort I of put they're... his cards on the table and just played, coach great basketball. And I don't remember the last time. I mean, last year we were in the NIT, obviously, but it's weird to have meaningful Vanderbilt basketball late in the season. It's fun. And kudos to Jerry. Kudos to the staff and to the players. Yeah. But with that being I mean, said, I don't think he should be coach of the year.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's he's not going to be coach of the year unless something crazy happens. But it is kind of a weird spot when the best team in the conference, like you can't give coach of the year to Nate Oates. Like that's just you can't do that as the SEC. That's a great With, some of, yes. with some of the comments he's made. So that is like – they're just almost this con- like it's obviously not a comical situation but the sec kind of having to be like no we're just not going to because if they gave gonna it be media- if oh my if they god gave the media tuss- shit storm i mean dude he has done a great coaching job like i mean he's coached that team through that whole felony murder situation investigation with a player you know being texted by the teammate to bring the gun, best best player, some could say, on the team, uh, and brought them to 16-1 and one despite those outside distractions. I mean, he's probably, I don't want to say this out loud, the coach of the year, but you can't give it to him. Yeah. So then you start yeah. going down the list. Yeah. It's definitely not Barnes. I mean, that, that definitely hasn't been an outstanding coaching performance up there. So, Billy, I think I actually agree with what you said, where you said he's probably closer than you guys think uh, but he's not the guy. I think, you know.
1: No, yeah. Yeah. I I just
2: don't think you can justify it with a team that yes, there's been improvement, but they're not really in tournament contention, even though they have climbed up climbed up the SEC standings. I, I just think that kind of knocks him off the list, especially when they're not coming. Off of a season last year where they won like two or three games in conference, right. I also think that would change yeah. the conversation if they that's went, what Missouri went, did. Yeah, 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 two and 16, you know, three yeah. and 15 in conference. Then all of a sudden, like Missouri, uh, they're sitting up there at 10 and seven, that would put them in the conversation. But as of right now, unfortunately, no. great job winning the Kentucky game. But, but no, yeah, all right,
1: let's get to Tommy Hoolan. Uh, he says, I'm sure somebody stats. else. <laughs> He says, what are the chances of Lee, of Lee Dort being back for the SEC tournament? We talked about it a little bit. I would say 50-50 right now. Um, now, you know, we're not inside the locker room. We don't know if, if Dort's going to play or not. But it's a good question, though, because it's a key. If Dort plays, that provides, you know, some room for error, I guess you could say, for Q&B. Um, You know, he gets mm-hmm. two fouls. You got Dort to throw in there. Now, Dort's going to be cold turkey. He hasn't played in, what, a, over a month. So, you know, it's not going to be easy for him. But Dort has shown this season at times a lot of potential guys now he's he struggled yeah. at times he's a freshman but i think that's a good question i think it's 50-50 right now i don't know if you guys you know i don't know if y'all know anything else about it but i would say 50-50 he would, he would be
3: big to get back that would even even being cold turkey even if he's not at 100% just having a big body down there would be um would be massive
2: for yeah. this team I had him written out in my mind already. You heard me find out earlier that there was a possibility earlier in the same podcast. There was actually a legitimate possibility of his return. Yeah. I just kind of assumed written off in my mind, you know, that, that he was basically, you know, hanging it up for the season, avoiding any re-injury, but hopefully you're right, Billy. And it is actually 50, 50 because it would be huge. Trevor, like you said, I mean, the depth yeah. room for error, allow Q to play his game, but I have no idea. I haven't he heard any updates, heard anything, heard any rumors. Uh, Billy, you we may need, know something uh, we
1: don't. We know. we need Joey Dwyer on the pod. We need to get him in uh, insider access there. But uh, guys, let's <laughs> go to Daniel here. Pretty good question. Again, we got some really good questions. Why does Stackhouse never play Noah Shelby, and what will that mean in terms of him transferring potentially? Was uh, he has another question? I'll ask that later. But Noah it's a Shelby million dollar question. It really is because I mean. You look at Shelby early in the season, you know, stack was throwing him out there and, you know, he, he would hit a couple threes, but when's the last time he stepped on the floor? Like, I, I, I don't even, I don't even know. Like, that's the, that's the tough part about it. I I don't, maybe the Tennessee game uh, at home, maybe, maybe on the road. Like, I don't even know. So, but with Noah Shelby, I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if he's happy with his playing time. I don't know if he has an, has admitted to himself, I need to get better. I'm not ready to play in the SEC yet. I'm going to stick with Stackhouse in this program. I don't know. I don't know that anybody really knows unless they're inside that locker room. Or maybe Shelby and Stackhouse are the only two guys that know what's going on. Uh, these are some of the harder things to predict. Um, you know, My gut tells me he hasn't been happy with his playing time, but maybe that doesn't mean he's transferring. You know, both could be true. You know, he might not be happy with his playing time, but he might also be admitting to himself that I need to get better. You know, I need to get bigger, I need to defend better, and I need to improve. I could be wrong, but I think that's sort of, you know, my guess. Now, I have no clue what's going on, and he could transfer after the season. He very well could. Um, But (sighs) you look at a guy like Shelby, and, I mean, he was a four-star, had big-time offers from everywhere. And I've heard a lot of people talk about he, you know, he doesn't want to sit. He wants to play. Um, and I've heard people say he's going to transfer. But then again, you never know. So I honestly, I don't know, but my gut tells me that he's staying. But I could be this, wrong. This is where I wish we had the Anchor Collective guys back on
3: because Noah Shelby signed an NIL
1: deal with right. the Anchor that, Collective. That's an, that's and an underrated I'm, point.
3: I'm wondering. I mean, uh, stuff like transfer talk has to be brought up along in the application or the contractual process. Um, so I I agree. I thought early on that Shelby probably would leave. But then, with him being an NIL guy, I don't know how that works. I don't know if there's like an agreement. I'm not entirely sure. I think that's really interesting, though. I th- and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to read the tea leaves or anything. But the fact that he is signed to an Anchor Collective NIL deal, he's an ambassador. Um, yeah, yeah. I think is a good sign for him to maybe stay. I don't know. I'm just this is just all conjecture.
2: Well, I mean, there's no way he's happy with his minutes like first off yes. there's no way he was brought in to Vanderbilt under correct. the correct with the full understanding that he would be playing three minutes against South Carolina five minutes against Florida five minutes against Alabama at the end of January and have three points and two points total between those three games he scored five total points uh since mid January six total points six mi- since mid January so there's no way he's like thrilled with that Now, maybe he has looked and said, yeah, there are some holes in my game. I will say that I think everybody, if anybody listens to this podcast and has gone to this point, they know I'm a big Noah Shelby fan. I like his game. I think he's going to be a really good player. But Ezra Mignon's play has kind of limited how much you need another point guard or another guard out there. And Tyron Lawrence's play has really limited that As well, I mean, Mignon has been pretty much the best point guard in the SEC. His Mm -hmm. assist to turnover ratio has been the best uh, in the conference. I think before this Kentucky game, it was like 70 assists to 15 turnovers or something insane like that in conference play. So he's just been playing incredibly well, playing a lot of minutes. And then Paul Lewis has really, and I like Noah Shelby. I think Noah Shelby is going to be a really good player, but Paul Lewis has looked really good and maybe looked better. Uh, than Noah Shelby when he's been out on the court. So he's basically kind of taken those minutes away. He's been kind of more confident, a better defender, more in control of the offense. Noah Shelby has looked kind of like a two-guard trying to run the point uh, versus Paul Lewis kind of looks like a point guard. And I'm a big fan of your point guard having the ability to shoot and score. Uh, But what Manyone has been doing, being able to get to the basket and just get this Mm -hmm. team in rhythm, it's undeniable. Uh, that this team is so much better and in control and just do getting in the right spots, even when they have five guards on the court, even when Studi is out there, when Manion is out there, it just seems like the offense has the ability to flow better. So I don't know how much this is like a Noah Shelby thing. Like, obviously, there's room for an improvement in his game, but I think everybody kind of forgets like it's not super normal. For true freshmen to just walk in and start balling out of control. I mean, especially if they're not the super highly rated five stars, we thought he would have a bigger role than he has had. I, I was definitely wrong. I thought he would be way more involved just with his scoring ability. But this the transfer portal, it is kind of a frustrating thing to say you have a point guard like Ezra Mignon that's clearly playing incredible basketball. And on the outside from us, it's like, is he gonna transfer out? I'm like, mm-hmm. he's a true freshman. Yeah. Like it, it's it's kind of weird to be like one year of kind of playing limited minutes and and everybody's assumption is he's going to transfer out. I don't I don't know what he's thinking, but I would imagine he's not happy. But that doesn't mean that he's going to leave the program and start completely fresh and have to redo everything uh, that he's done and gotten his life set up in Nashville and, and everything with that. So I think that both can be true, that he can be unhappy currently, uh, but also isn't necessarily, you know, he doesn't have one hand on the door ready to get out yeah, of Nashville. That's, I don't know. it would be wrong, yeah. but I'm really hoping that's the case because that's, I would love to see him in black and gold next year.
1: That's the problem with with today's culture. A lot of players, you know, they're unhappy they leave, you know, and that's not always the case. They could be unhappy, but they want to stick it out and, and get and get better and improve under Stackhouse, a guy that has played in the NBA. So you know that could also be the case. We don't know, but a good question. All right, let's get to Josh. we got a couple more. uh, which seed does a twenty two and thirteen SEC tournament champion Vanderbilt? get in the NCAA tournament. That's good. <laughs> it's an That's underrated question. question. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> like dude, I, I my first eight. guess Yeah, my first guess was 8 or 9, but with the loss to Grambling and the LSU loss, like they might be a 10 or 11. Like I I don't know. <laughs> dude, no well, way. What is it 12?
3: Cuz 12s always beat 5s. It's it's <laughs> just fact. Put us at 12, we'll beat whoever 5 seed you play us against. I mean, I don't know. If they I, I... if they
2: beat if they beat Mississippi State, they went eight out of nine to close out the season, and then went three straight games in the SEC tournament. They have got to be at least an eight seed. Like I don't care that it when you look up the NCAA and how they use the net rankings, they have other rankings. There is absolutely no way. Like, and this is all hypothetical fantasy land, but a twenty-two and thirteen team that has won what is that twelve out of their last thirteen games being a 10 seed that would be or, or a seed under like in the bottom half so they would be theoretically an underdog in the tournament to whoever their first matchup is like who in the world would want to see that matchup like oh shit we have to play the conference champion of the sec who's gone 13 out of their last 14 with wins and the other 10 seed on the or nine seed on the other side is Southern Miss or VCU or a school like that. So I mean, two teams un- dude, Ironically, that's a great question. I it is. It is. That.
1: So I, I yeah. I mean, I say ten or eleven just because I don't know what the hell the committee would do there. No, um, but I think I think eight or nine. Yeah. Um, most likely. Jesus eight, Christ, probably, this team somehow
2: wins
4: the SEC.
1: <laughs> but that's that's that is a it's it's a decent it's a good question, but that ain't happening. Um, but. We've seen weirder things happen. If they win the uh, SCC
2: tournament, I will find a way to travel to whatever game they are in. I, I, I'm making that statement publicly. If they if they <laughs> find a way to win the SEC tournament, I'll figure. It we out. would and we I'll would do a it. TDR crowdfund to get <laughs> to get the boys to, I'm to getting, whatever. I'm getting in the Bank Hyundai. City. So, I'm getting in the Hyundai Sonata, and I'm driving, and I'm just hey, going dude, to wherever. Sonata it is. gang, stand up. <laughs> I'm driving until I see the sun. All right.
1: One more, guys. Actually, two more. We got a question and a comment. Memorial Magic on Twitter. What a name. Assuming the six seed holds for the SEC tournament, there's no excuse for Bridgestone not to be filled with Vandy fans for the night session on Thursday. Take over the arena and make a statement. Get momentum going into the likely matchup against either Kentucky or Tennessee. I love the statement, but there has never been a lot of Vandy fans at Bridgestone for the SEC tournament. Just, there's never been. And... I don't have a—I re- mean, it's Vandy. They don't—they're they're not Kentucky fans traveling from Lexington. Like, they don't dedicate their entire year to an SEC tournament. Like, Vandy fans would—most Vandy fans would rather save the money, not pay for parking down there, not, you know, be around a bunch of Redneck Kentucky fans. They'd rather watch the game at home. So, I I like the enthusiasm there, but Vandy fans have never— even if it's in Nashville, they they played Kentucky in New Orleans, and that gym, I mean, it was ninety percent Kentucky. So yeah. they just they don't travel well. I don't know what to say. Yeah, Kentucky fans are also they were, like Kentucky
3: basketball fans. Legitimately, are like a different breed. Like mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you've never been to like a Vanderbilt Kentucky game, like I don't, it's, it's a, I really it's a, can't explain it. It's, it's it smells like it's different. It smells like Copenhagen long cut. And some guy is just screaming in your ear. And you can't understand him, but he's right next to you. It's, it it's is...
2: Copenhagen Long Cut and government welfare is the... Is the it's, it is... It's it's li-
3: <laughs> it is literally... It is an experience.
2: It All is right, an experience. I, I, love, like smoking, I love that. Smoking in the car with children, like that kind of scent. Like, that's <laughs> kind of what it vibes with.
1: Oh, God. All right, let's... uh. <laughs> Well, guys, I will say about that SEC tournament, Vanny fans traveling decent, there was a Florida game, that 2017 Florida game. I think it was a Friday night where Vanderbilt knocked off Florida. That was actually a decent contention of Vanderbilt fans there. Now, you know, maybe they traveled differently this year. I wouldn't doubt on it, but I like the comment. Scott, last comment here. First game at Memorial in ages this late in the season that has some meaning on Saturday night against Mississippi State. It's not wrong. Um, it doesn't feel the same as the Auburn game. Now, no game felt the same as the Auburn game. Vandy had won five straight or four straight. Um, but this Mississippi State game, guys, if they beat Mississippi State, they're at 18 wins. And as a Vandy fan, you're sitting there saying, if we if we win two in the SEC tournament, we've got a shot. And it starts with this Mississippi State game. So he's right. This is You haven't had this important of a game late in the season in a long time. Uh, I mean, you go back to 2017, 2016 again for that. So uh, that takes us, as we wrap it up real quick, I want to get y'all's quick thoughts on the Mississippi State game uh, presented. Well, we'll get to that next episode, actually. Uh, Mississippi State at Vandy, 7.30 tip-off, guys. Uh, night game. Both teams are red hot. Mississippi State's won eight of the last ten. Vandy's won seven of the last eight. The Bulldogs are coming off a big home win uh, against a and then they beat South Carolina by six. They had to they had to hang on against South Carolina. Tolu Smith is a load, guys. 15 points a game, eight rebounds. That's the matchup. Tolu Smith versus whoever guards him, <laughs> whether it's Q&B, whether it's Lee Dort, I, I doubt he plays, actually. Uh, Miles Studi. Miles Studi and Q&B will have to play their brains out, like they did at Rupp, uh, to win this game. Guys, this is going to be a bloodbath. Like If you really think about this matchup, Mississippi State needs this to get in vandy needs this to have a chance to get in who's more desperate i'm, I'm looking forward to it. i'm going i know you guys aren't but i'm going and i'm, I'm to Je- buying
3: tickets right now are you going i'm literally i'm i'm searching for tickets <laughs> right now let's I'm, go
1: trev let's go I,
2: <laughs> I can't help it i'm a glut for punishment um Will, it's
1: your turn baby
3: it's, I have a
2: family birthday party. I'm not just not. I, I actually, I, I, my yeah.
3: buddy was going to have us over for the UFC fight. So, Jacob, he's a Vols fan. He's not Leslie, but Jacob, I'm sorry, buddy. I, I got to go to the Vandy game. I'm purchasing yeah. tickets right now. I love you. <laughs> uh, but they need me. They need me in memorial. And I always answer the call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I John. always answer the call. I, I see the. I see the hack squat Jim Duggan light going off in the sky right here. <laughs> Will's and gonna I have buy to it. get tickets. I Will's
2: gonna
1: buy a ticket before you know it.
2: <laughs> I just don't have the option. It's it's not a choice. Sometimes my mother would that. be very angry at me if I <laughs> if I did not attend my cousin's
1: guys' party. So. Real quick though, on this matchup, what's what what's the gut telling you? For me, I think Vandy wins. I called it against Auburn, I think Vandy wins. Uh, it's gonna be close. Every game has been close the last ten games. So, uh, but well, I'll start with you. What what's the key here? Can Vanderbilt guard Tolu Smith Saturday night?
2: I I don't even know anymore. I don't have a prediction. I'm giving up in the regular season. I'll try again. Turn come tournament time. Once all that is finalized, anytime I said it at the beginning that I think I know or am able to get a beat on this team, I'm completely wrong. This game, Billy, I think you said it, it's going to be a bloodbath. Mississippi State right now and most of the projections is last four in. Yep. So they're right there. A loss to Vanderbilt would be pretty detrimental uh, to their tournament resume. I would say it would probably move them to that first four out, next four out. Honestly, where Vanderbilt sits in the net rankings, I mean, that's not a great loss at this point, even if, it, even if for Mississippi State it's on the road. So they're mm-hmm. going to try – they are going to try – to hammer it down low they're going to try to attack a Vanderbilt team that they know is thin inside and if they can get QMB in foul trouble early uh, that's going to pretty much I don't want to say decide the game I don't want to say that but QMB has to be able to stay on the court and if he can't then we're going to have to see a very different Malik Dia out there than we yes. saw before because is going to be able to only play the five position for so long before he also uh, gets in foul trouble. So th- there's, g- that is the key to the game. I mean, that's everything is the battle inside. And if QMB is able to play extended minutes without fouling, I, Other I than think that, you nailed it. I, right I can't there, even Will. predict a winner. That's, like, because yep. I have no idea
1: that little 22nd clip there. I'm going to clip that. I think you nailed it. That that's, that's the analysis right there, Trev. Yep, That's, I totally agree. Yeah,
3: that is, uh, that's all that needs to be said. Cause I'm right there with you. i I legitimately have no freaking clue. Um, I. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I really, don't. I, I wish I did. I was 100% I I no sure idea. they
2: were going to beat LSU and I was like 98% sure they were not going to beat Kentucky. So now I'm like 50 50 and just leaving it up to uh, the basketball gods to decide it's, instead it's of my powers of-, of fading me or whatever <laughs> I choose
1: it's kind of fun and interesting to do it this way. Like who knows, like Seriously. who, who knows what's going to happen Saturday night at Memorial honky tonk night. They're giving out free cowboy hats to the students. Um, and it's ironic. They're playing Mississippi state bulldogs. They got some, uh, right. some few friends. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to try to sneak in some cowbells there uh, to Memorial gym, but it uh, should be a fun atmosphere. I think it should be a really good crowd. Another one, Close to a sellout. I mean, I, I, you, you look at it, guys. The last chance for Vandy fans to get into Memorial this year. Uh, is it senior night?
2: Mm-hmm. It is, yes. Is Liam,
1: is Liam the only – or is Ansong a senior as well? I, I, I tried to look into that. I just you thought think about honor q
3: again?
1: I don't know. Who knows? Because he got honored
3: last year, didn't he? Him and Drew Weikert. Or am I making yeah, that up?
1: I, I think they'll – no, you're not. I, I think they'll probably honor q I th- and I want to say they'll honor Liam because Liam has no eligibility left. Uh, so that'll be a pretty special moment. He'll probably be in a, you know, in crutches and he'll walk out there. That'll be, that'll be special because uh, Liam deserves it all. And I want to say, yes. Ansong. I want to say, well, Ansong. Will Song. they
2: honor, will they honor Magnon regardless because he's a senior? So, I, so what they usually do is um,
1: they don't unless they officially know. Like if, if Ezra has told Coach Stackhouse that he's coming back. They definitely won't, but if Ezra has said, I'm done, you know, I'm going to try to play somewhere overseas, which I doubt, you
2: know, he would be honored, but I don't think, you know,
1: I've heard rumor, rumor mill that Ezra will be back, but you know, again, that's we don't the
2: part know. I keep forgetting. I yeah. keep having him like written off the roster in my mind, but it's, it's an interesting aspect to this, to this mm-hmm. program and
1: where they're at uh, guys over an hour and a half. That one definitely was uh, Vanny boys wow. play this weekend. Uh, we've got, they're playing, up uh, (laughs) they're playing a bunch of big 10 teams, Nebraska, Maryland, Minnesota, and the Cambria college classic in Minneapolis. Uh, so that should be an interesting, I I don't, I haven't bought big 10 plus yet, but I I think I'm going to, going to bite the bullet there, but, uh, we've got Rhett Wiseman coming up loaded TDR longest TDR in the history of TDR episodes. Rhett Wiseman talking all things, Vandy boys, see y'all at Memorial. Trevor will be there. I'll be there. Will, I know you'll be watching. You'll be there in spirit. <laughs> you've been listening to another episode of the door it's program. time
3: to bring the noise i'm gonna be a memorial you need to be a memorial i got somebody on twitter calling me a fake fan i'm insane all this guy had to do to get me to buy tickets was call me a fake fan and i said i'd be there
1: i'm not a FOD. <laughs> that's another tdr see y'all at memorial guys Rhett Wiseman, national champion Vandy Boy. He played at Vanderbilt from 2013 to 2015. I guess you can call him our Vandy Boy's insider. We've we've had him on before. We've been trying to get him on sometime before the season. We finally got Rhett back on. Rhett, you're a tough guy to catch nowadays.
4: Yeah, but, you know, Billy, I wouldn't miss this. It's one of my favorite things. I love coming on here and, and talking Vandy baseball, so thanks for having me.
1: Well, Rhett, let's start uh, obviously with with the beginning of the season, and and you know I think let's let's go back actually to your you know kind of ending thoughts to last year, and then and then you know your thoughts in the off season, and then coming into this season, sort of where the program's at. Obviously, a lot of young players, young talent last year still had great pitching, just lost in in that last game of of the Corvallis Regional to a really good Oregon State team. So. Kind of take us back to the end of last season and, you know, sort of your post-season thoughts, uh, sort of heading into, to this season.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I think last season it was, it was, uh, it was hard to watch it sometimes. Um, I thought that, uh, the toughness factor of that team was, was touch and go. Um, and you could tell, um, and you can tell even more when you watch this team this year. The the right. fibers of this team are are so different from last year. And being a Nashville guy uh, in the, in the summers, it, I, I get constant uh, feedback about people coming in, and and I get to see those guys when they when they first get to campus. And you could just tell uh, in the postseason uh, or after the postseason, I should say, in the off season. The, the energy was just different. There's different feeling in the air over there. Um, and it was it was nice. They were really happy with with a lot of the guys they had coming in with the transfers they had coming in and, and with the freshman class. And as a guy that works out there a couple times a week, and who's always over there, the energy over there is just different uh, this year than it was last year. So the fibers of this team are different the toughness of this team is different and the energy over there is is without question noticeably different
1: you mentioned fibers and sort of the the energy around a program take us back to 2013 that season obviously ended it was a tough end of that season but going into 14 is that sort of a similar feeling that that you guys in the dugout and corbs and the staff and and even fans Could you feel that heading into 14 or was that more of a slow, slower developing feeling throughout that season? Yeah.
4: You know, Billy, I actually, when, when all those guys, when I'm talking about 2013, you had the leaders on that team, you had the Connor Harrell, Jack Mm -hmm. Lupo, Andrew Harris, you had Tony Kemp, you had all these guys that were, were, were rock stars, right. On that team. And when they left, there was definitely a feeling of, okay, we need to step up. And for us, I'm not quite sure how much you remember 2014, but we weren't great at the beginning of the year. Yeah, Uh, yeah. You know, we weren't the best team ever. Um, So there was a lot of growing pains that went into that. And it was uh, about us finding our uh, identity. And for us, that took pretty much the whole year for us to, to find. Uh, we had our ups, we had our downs, we had more downs than ups, lost a lot of series, but what it did was it really toughened us up for 15. When I would tell you our 15 team was better than our 14 team. Right. You know? So I, I think that in a certain sense, the 2022 Vanderbilt team, the beatings that they took and the lessons that a lot of those young guys learned are being enforced now in this 2023 team, along with the reinforcement of some really good young guys that are adding so much life and so much energy uh, to give the team just a a new feel, a new vibe, and, and really a new toughness that they're kind of just making their own and having fun with you mentioned
1: 2014 the sort of the way that season started i think some fans were a little worried you know going back to that season about you know some of the midweek losses some of the sec series losses midweek losses are interesting it, it's such a such a highly debated topic in, in college baseball you know you lose one to to a belmont or an austin p and fans want to explode and you know freak out on twitter or you know what have you they lost a midweek to central arkansas last week this team did uh but this week they come back they barely hold on and they survive they score 8 runs in in in, in you know the late innings there and they beat Austin P11 to 7 so talk to me about midweek games and, and I know we've talked about this before but as a player how tough is it to you know after a, a long hard fought weekend series turn around on a Tuesday night at home against you know uh, a mid major team who is very feisty and they want to come in and beat you. How tough is that to manage as a player and, and, and knowing you've got another big time series coming up that next weekend. So it, there's a lot of trap scenarios that happen there. So how would you describe that, that midweek game and and how tough it can be? Because I think a lot of fans don't really understand that.
4: You know, it's, it's all about setting the tone. And the the thing about the midweek games is it's really easy for your starter to go out there and not set the tone. On a Friday night, when you have Carter Holton going out there, all the guys rally behind that, and they say, "Hey, Carter's throwing tonight. Let's go! We're, let's go! We're we, we we're winning this game." Right. And then he goes out in the first inning and strikes out the side and and fist pumps and yells as he walks off the mound. That fires guys up. Mm-hmm. When you have a midweek game. And there's a guy who's getting a spot start who might not be a, a a guarantee in the rotation. And he goes out and he might be trying to work on stuff. The guys behind you feel that. And it's kind of lackadaisical. You might not have people in the stands. You don't have the, the gear up to it. But at the end of the day, the guy sets the tone. And if you recall back in 2013, the guy that pitched on Tuesdays for us was a guy named Walker Bueller. And that guy went out there and set the tone every single Tuesday. And I think we won almost every single Tuesday. Right. So it's all about setting the tone. And so much of that gets lost. The pitcher has a huge, huge job to do there. If that guy goes out there and he's fired up, like he's pitching on a Friday night, immediately that bar is raised. That energy levels up here. And it's easy to play behind that guy.
1: Let's go to the weekend series: Vanderbilt and UCLA. Friday night, they got obviously. You just mentioned Carter Holton; he pitched a gem, uh, and then Hunter Owen on Saturday he pitched well, but UCLA was able to beat Vanderbilt three 0 And then Sunday, Vanderbilt wins an absolute pitchers' duel, two to one. They're late, so after a series like that, I'm not again. I'm not sure how much of you got to watch, but after a series against a top twenty-five team, a program like a UCLA, and you're able to win that series, Corbin talked about it after the game. He said you know that he was it was a happy corbin it was a happy tim corbin after the game and that that's what happens when you you know you execute at home against a top 25 team that early in the season so what did that tell you about this group that they were able to bring in a really good UCLA team fight throughout the entire series find a way to execute and and, and get the win
4: yeah it's all about scraping across runs when you have pitching like vandy does it's been a couple of years since vandy's had pitching like this and even when we had lighter and rocker Uh, they didn't have the depth in the bullpen. And that's why whenever those guys came out of the game, if they didn't score five or six runs, they would lose. So you need those back end guys. Bryce Cunningham coming out of the bullpen this weekend was an absolute monster bulldog savage who just came (laughs) in and was just blood coming out of his eyes, which (laughs) was amazing because you need that guy. That's the guy that is your, that's your go-to guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you you had guys like Hunter Owen who come come out and just throw a gem. I mean, through a gem. You got to score to win, you know. If you right. give and I don't even think, and, and I could be wrong, I don't think he had any earned runs. I think the runs came after he was pulled. I think you're right. Yeah. So what else can a guy do? Right? He goes out there and puts up zeros every single inning. You got to score to win. Holton sets the tone on Friday, you know, shoves it where the sun don't shine on Friday nights. Hunter Owen comes in, a guy that has virtually no time pitching, comes in and just puts up zero, zero, zeros on a Saturday against one of the best teams in the country. That's amazing. We're going to need that all year. And then Futrell, who has been one of my favorite pitchers now for two years, who just throws strikes. He's
1: smooth, goes in there,
4: throws strikes, fills up the zone. He's tall. He's big. It's a lot of stuff coming at you, but they had the bullpen to back it up. So when the starters were done, the bullpen came in and did everything they could. Now that Saturday game, if you can't score runs, you can't win baseball. Three runs on a Saturday. You should be able to overcome that. I thought the pitching was amazing. Um, And it's light years different from, from years past.
1: Yeah. The stats looking at the weekend starters against UCLA, from the starters, 15 and a third inning pitch, no runs, 18 strikeouts. I mean, you're going to beat a lot of teams, not just, you know, a, a top 25 team, but a lot of SEC teams as well that come into your ballpark. So uh, you talked about the starting rotation and how important it is to to have guys like, like Futrell and Holton, who you can just trust. You can send out there and the defensive guys are, they're confident and, and it's a better feel. How important is it? to have a starting rotation, and you had it. You had it most of your time at Vanderbilt. I mean, let's face it, most most guys who played at Vanderbilt have that. But how important is it to have a starting rotation like Vanderbilt has right now this season that everyone else, the coaches, the fans, the players can trust to execute every time out? Now, you're going to have some down games here and there, but more often than not, you're going to see a gem. So how important is that to to a team, especially in the SEC, where you're seeing the best bats in the country?
4: It's the most important part because pitching and defense wins games in this league. That's what it is. In the SEC and in the postseason, it's all about pitching and defense. Do you have to score runs? Of course you do, but you got to execute. Last year is an outlier uh, because the balls were so juiced. It was kind of a joke. It was a home run derby. I mean, go look at the numbers in Omaha last year compared to years past. It, That's not a real year in regards to offensive numbers and production. It's not go look at, at every year in Omaha, it's tight games every year. They broke every home run record last year. They broke every run record. They broke everything. I think there was a stat that they had, they had scored more runs through three or four games in Omaha, the first three or four games. than they had the entire series the year before. So was was it the balls, the bats? it's It's the balls, but I believe, and I don't know what the serving size is, but it seems like the balls are, are more back to normal this year than they have been in years past. So it's back to a pitching defense game, which mm-hmm. is what Vanderbilt does. They play unbelievable defense. Don't even get me started on that infield that Vandy has this year. I could watch them play all day. Never mind, you know, the best college player in, in the country in center field up the middle. So when you play defense like that, And you're a pitcher and you know every single ball on the ground with Diaz and Vastin is going to get rolled up in a two. When you get a guy with a great glove who's a freshman at third base who's playing like a senior, you've got a guy that has experience at first base, you've got a really good two-catcher combination behind the plate, and you've got an All-American absolute superstar in center field, it's easy to pitch. And you're not worried about every ball you throw over the plate getting hit out of the yard because the balls are juiced. It's easy to pitch. That's a fun game to play where those pitchers are saying, Hey, we have strikeout power stuff, but we also know we can pitch to contact. And when you play good defense and you pitch like that, all you got to do is manufacture a couple runs a game, which when you have speed like Vandy does and the contact ability that they have, they're going to, I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't think anyone's gotten on first base this year that hasn't tried to steal second. So they're going to put pressure on defenses. They're going to run. And they are going to manufacture runs. Let's
1: let's get into some of those position players. And it, it, you got to start with Enrique Bradfield Jr. I mean, he made history over the weekend, uh, broke the all-time stolen base record with number 97, I, I said this on our last podcast. I think he's going to go down as one of the best position players in program history. And he could be arguably the best, depending on what he does offensively, defensively this season. I mean, he's right up there with Alvarez, Kemp, Swanson, and outfielders like you. I mean, there's been so many good outfielders uh, at Vanderbilt. On Tuesday night against Austin P., he reached base five times, Rhett scored twice, knocked one in, and stole his 98th base. So that's not even talking about what he did defensively. I mean, the guy, wow. the guy, quietly yeah the guy i mean he he makes catches in the gap where you're like i don't know that anybody else could have made it look that easy i mean it's ridiculous so when you look at enrique what impresses you the most is it just everything i mean is it his development offensively where do you go with enrique
4: and what you've seen so far this year for me it's not even a question it's the defense It's not even close. He's the best defensive outfielder I've ever seen at Vanderbilt. No questions asked since I've been there. I've played with some unbelievable outfielders and not even a competition. He's heads and tails above everybody else. And I know because I've, I've been standing. Right. And I also know how hard it is to get from that gap to that gap when you're playing a guy, you know, oppo and then you have two strikes and where he ranges to and, and how he moves around it's it's crazy he's a freak so for me his defense is is without question uh what makes him as valuable as, as he is now the speed is on another level the base running's on another level uh the hitting he's never going to have to be a guy that hits 370 he'll be a guy mm-hmm. that hits 300 plus every year because of his speed his speed is without question his most valuable asset now he's a great contact hitter the bunt tool is great uh the way he can soften defenses with the threat of the bunt is great it's going to help him hit just like he did this weekend he brings he moves the infield around and then can take a fastball middle in stay inside of it hit a ground ball base hit to the left side through shortstop to the five hole and the five hole is so soft because the third baseman's playing so in um he's dynamic you know he's not going to hit 10 15 home runs he's not going to do that But he doesn't have to do that because Mm -hmm. all he has got to do is get on base. He's guaranteed to get in a scoring position within five pitches, and he's going to play defense that's going to save 10 runs a year. So for me, watching him just work counts, walk, that's exciting for me. And, and of course, on defense, he's so fast that on line drives, he can read balls for a split second longer than other people because he can make up for it with his with his uh with his with his feet.
1: Let's go to that middle infield. right? Davis Diaz at short, Jonathan Vastine at second. Davis in particular, he's he's one of my favorite stories about this season early on uh, because he he made he's making the freshman to sophomore jump basically as a starter. I mean, he played a lot last year in replacement of Carter Young when he was down uh, and injured last year. Last season at the plate for Davis, 2.13 average, 37 strikeouts, two home runs, 20 RBIs already this season he's hitting 240 7 RBIs he's slugging 440 so you can already see that jump he's made offensively he's getting on base and he's limiting the strikeouts so from your perspective and what you've been able to watch for him number 1 how tough is it for a freshman to perform at a high level like he he had to he was forced to do that last season i mean he's a freshman and he was forced into action and he, he's making the jump. He's making those offensive, you know, progressions already. You can see it. He had a bomb against, um, you know, against UCLA late in, in that one. So when you look at him, specifically Davis Diaz and sort of his trajectory, how impressive has that been? And how tough is that? I mean, you made the jump freshman to sophomore year. So how how tough is that jump to make? And what have you seen from him early on in particular, along with Vastine at second there?
4: You know, Billy, I don't really care about Davis Diaz offense. I don't. If he hits 200 again this year, I'd be fine with it. It's all about defense. I don't care. Everything else is is just extra. It's a cherry on top. You need a guy that can hold down shortstop Mm -hmm. and can separate offense and defense. If Davis Diaz can hit 250, amazing. This, This team will win 50 games. If he hits 200, it doesn't matter as long as he separates his offense from his defense. When you have Mm -hmm. a guy like that who just makes every single play look so easy and makes all the routine plays, he reminds me of a Vince Condi, a guy who's a gold glove shortstop, Mm -hmm. never impressed you with the bat, 270, 280 in a great year, 300, 310, but makes every play on defense. Mm -hmm. That is what they need at shortstop. Now, a guy like Vastine playing second base that's more of a power position that guy needs to hit now if you swap them it's fine but one of the two of those guys needs to be rock solid defense and the other right. one needs to hit so right now Vastine is your hottest player no questions yep. asked he's a shortstop playing second base he's made the he makes the fastest turns in the middle infield that i've seen since Dansby and and Tyler Campbell It's outrageous how fast he gets rid of the ball. It's because he's got an absolute cannon playing second base. He doesn't need to move his feet. One thing that I've noticed, which is so rare, and I don't know how many people have picked up on this, but when you turn a double play and you run a six, four, three, and you throw a guy out at first base by seven feet every single time, that doesn't happen. It's usually bang. I noticed that. Yeah. Vastine throws people out by six feet. So having those two in the middle and having them be dynamic, that's all that matters. They are going to save more runs and save more pitchers because every time you hit a ball on the ground with two out with one out, it's a double automatic double play. That means way more to me. And that saves more runs than the runs you gain by Davis Diaz hitting 275, 300.
1: And, and Vastine at the plate, his swing, that, I mean, that stroke reminds me of Yaz a little bit, the way he, you know, sort of at the left-handed bat, you know, sort of lifts that, that, that swing at the end. It just reminds, and that's, you know, you see a swing like that, you know, I mean, you were a left-handed guy out of the box. I mean, he's, it seems like he's almost al- already halfway to first a lot of times too. So he's got sort of that, that speed edge with Bradfield. Let's go to Maldonado. He, he was nails in the final three innings against against UCLA on Sunday with his 11th career save. He came back this season because he said he thought he had some unfinished business. And you guys had a dominant closer in Adam Ravenel in, in 2014, and the 2019 team had a guy like Tyler Brown, who was just dominant late in games. And Ravenel and both Brown, Corbs would sometimes throw him in in the seventh or eighth innings and say, take us home you know, finish this game, close this game out for us. So number one, do you think Maldo could potentially be that type of guy? I mean, he showed it against UCLA. Um, And secondly, how important, I asked you about the starters, how important is it to have a shutdown closer like that to basically tell them, hey, go win us this game?
4: Yeah, having a shutdown closer like that is extremely important because when you look at starters, right, a starter throws one game a week. They impact one game. That's it. That's it. A closer can impact three games a week. So they're touching the ball in big situations, three games. They can come in on a Tuesday and close the door. They come in on a Friday and close the door and a Sunday. And then even when it matters late in the season, they can come in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if they have to. So with his stuff, power closer, no question. What I'd like to see is him really own that role because in the sec, that position the closer position guys who are the most successful are extremely intimidating and when you're a college player even a pro player intimidating closers can get you out before they even step on the mound Yep, he's got the stuff to get guys out without question right he's got nasty power stuff but I want to see him really just harness that role and be nasty and be intimidating and be scary and, and take it to another level to where he already has guys out before he gets on the mound. And that's something real. I I remember playing at Mississippi state in front of 18,000, Jonathan Holder, who's with the Yankees used to come out to Johnny cash. God's going to cut you down. And (laughs) 18,000 people were shaking and and stamping their feet so hard the You're done. Shaking underneath you, you can't even hear yourself think. And that's a guy who came in through a 92. Right. But he was such a big figure. I mean, if you had asked me how tall he was, I would have said he's eight feet, nine feet tall, <laughs> because he had this just crazy aura behind him. That's what I'd love to see from Maldonado. Because you just you already have outs before you step on the mound. Rhett, Vandy's up to
1: number seven overall in in D1 Baseball's top 25. I know those do not matter. Coach Corbin will tell you, don't tell me that. Uh, But in your mind, watching the SEC, you've played in the SEC, you've seen it sort of develop and and continue to grow over the last several years. A team like Tennessee is a top five program now. LSU is back, especially with NIL and the transfer portal. Everybody's using it. You know, Everybody's getting transfers. It's a different game. Uh, And you've told me that before. So, With the SEC this season, before I talk about this weekend series, where where does Vandy stack up in your mind? I know it's early, but right now, where does Vandy stack up with the rest of the SEC in your mind uh, as we're still about a month away from SEC play?
4: Yeah, you know, it's tough to tell. I mean, you're seeing these big-time schools lose to midweek teams early, right? Uh, So it's tough to tell. A lot of teams don't have their identity yet. Vandy doesn't even have a lineup they like yet. They don't even know who their catcher is going to be, right? So – they're trying pieces left and right. Um, they're they're trying to figure out what their bullpen looks like. They don't have a definite closer. They don't know who their number one guy is out of the bullpen yet. They don't know who their long relief guy is. It's still very much of a, a plug and play where they're trying to find who fits what role best, who works well here, who works well here. It's tough to really, first of all, it's tough to get those rankings and be number seven or number two or number 10 or 15, whatever you are, because you've only played 10 games, you know, last year, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even know how good you are. Right. Vandy. I think they're better than if I was going to rank them, I'd say they're better than seven because there's no way there are three more, there are seven schools or six schools that have the rotation that they do and have speed in their lineup and have, you know, the, the ability that they do the one the one problem that Vandy's going to run into this year is who is going to step up and do damage. That's the one thing that offensively offensively. That's a, that's a question mark is who's going to do damage because the speed's great, right? Speed doesn't slump. You get put balls in play, you get guys on base, you run, you put pressure, but you're going to need a guy that can change the game with one swing. Who is it? Is it Espinal? It might be. If he can adjust to some of that off-speed and some of those breaking balls and learn how to hit them routinely and square, he'd be dangerous. He'd be deadly. Uh, I think Vastine's a 10-plus home run guy. Uh, I think Espinal is a 10-plus home run guy. I think Shrek, if he could, yeah, possibly. I think he's between an 8 and 12 home run guy. If he gets hot, he's got the power to do it. So you just need guys to hit doubles. We need some extra base hits. We need guys to develop into a little bit more of, of some gap to gap approaches. And again, that comes with timing. That's going to come with reps and that's going to come with more games.
1: I want to go before I, I want to talk to you about this weekend series up in Minneapolis. But first, I, you know, I've heard I've heard from a lot of former Vanderbilt players about those, you know, those fall to inner squad scrimmages, you know, and and you're playing against your teammates, and it 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 can get heated, it can get ugly, you know. You guys are talking trash against Austin P. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of jawing going on. There always is in college baseball. You saw a lot of emotion, you saw energy, and it's an early season midweek game against Austin P. And you know, you you feel like I started to think about, okay, this had to start in those fall inner squad games where you know that you're barking at your teammate, you know, you and and you're saying, you know, give me that, give me your fastball, give me, you know, give me your best pitch. So is that where those start? Because obviously you guys always play with energy, but put me in the dugout of an inner squad scrimmage in the fall where Corv basically lets you go and say, Eat each other up. So it take me behind the scenes there and how just how heated and ugly those can get. Cause I've heard a few stories.
4: Yeah, they get ugly for sure, but that's good. That's competition. That's healthy. That is, that is what it's about. That's Hey, you know, here it is. We're laying it out on the line. Um, and I remember when I was at Vandy, all we used to do was talk trash. We talked trash to each other. And then, you know, I remember, um, being young and, and being at Vandy and getting on second base and someone saying to me, man, I hate you guys. And I was like, How come? and he goes, you you guys think you're better than everybody else. And I looked at him and I said, we are better, you know, <laughs> like, look at you, you know? Uh, so that's what it's all about. We, all we do is talk trash, but that's a sign of a confident team. And that's what I love. Because teams that aren't confident in themselves, they don't talk trash because they're afraid. They don't, they don't feel like they can back it up. Guys that talk trash, they think they can back it up. They're, they're confident in who they are and, and their abilities. So I love that. I love chippiness. I love edginess. I love guys getting in each other's faces. I always have. Um, so when I see that stuff, it fires me up. And that's why even more so. I want a guy like Maldonado coming out of the bullpen being nasty. I want him staring into the dugout. I want him buzzing guys if he has to, because (laughs) that is the baseball I love. I love Carter Holton striking out the side in the fourth inning in a big spot with a guy on third base and fist pumping and, and yelling at a hitter. I love that. I also came from, you know, an era at Vanderbilt where Carson Fulmer would stare guys down, walking up to the mm-hmm. plate, punch them out on three pitches, and then stare at them back into the dugout. You know, and Bueller doing the same thing, and then Rav coming in and and you know backing guys off the plate. So I love that kind of baseball. I love it in college. It's intimate. It's loud. It's in your face, and that is the game that I love so much.
1: Bulmer struck out. Going back to him, uh, and I think you were on this team in the SEC tournament against Tennessee. It was a tight game. Fulmer strikes the uh, last batter out to the end of the game. I thought he was going to go fight the guy. I mean, he in in the catcher. I forgot who the catcher was that on on that team. He was holding it back. I mean, I thought Fulmer was going to throw a punch at him. So, I mean, it it gets to that level sometimes and you know, you got to harness it, but Vandy's they've done a good job of that uh, over the years. So, uh, I I th- I thought that was that was funny there, that story. But let's go to this weekend uh cambria college classic in, in minneapolis up at us bank stadium this is where the vikings play so it's, mm-hmm. it's gonna be an interesting setting i can't wait to watch it just to see what 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 the setup looks like there i think it's 300 and right so you know vandy's right-handed bats should have a fun time there uh, they play nebraska maryland and minnesota some big 10 teams that vanderbilt r- rarely faces in, in the regular season have you ever played inside of a dome Stadium where football is played for baseball. Have you ever played an atmosphere like that? And if 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 you had R.J. Shrek come up to you and ask you for some for some advice, you're playing, you know, in a dome, or you know, he's got a 300 foot, you know, fence out there and right to hit to hit hit to. What would you tell these guys as they go, you know, they they go play in Minneapolis in a unique setting?
4: You know, these guys are are in a crazy situation because they just played in a dome last week two yeah. weeks ago. So for them, it's going to be like, nothing's different. You know, usually you go to a dome and you look up and you got to take a ton of reps of fly balls and batting practice because the ball with the color of the ceiling, it looks totally different. You have to judge. It's hard with depth perception. A lot of times there are things hanging that you have to maneuver around and make sure that you have good lines of sight. Uh, but for these guys, I don't think they're going to have a problem with it. I mean, you know, you're talking about a select group of teams that have played in a dome in their existence, never mind two weeks ago. So I think for them it's going to be an easy transition. Now, as far as the depths of the field, the walls, um, the gaps and all that stuff, they just have to play. And, and that's something that they're used to. They're coming off of uh playing every day at a field that's 305 down the left field line. So I don't think that it's gonna change how they're planning on doing anything. Now, if you have big home run hitters on your team, then you cha- you can change your approach totally. You can back up the plate a little bit, look to pull more if you're left-handed or if you're right-handed, get on back off the plate a little more, try to get your hands extended even more, than, more so than you are. Uh, and if you're left-handed, I'm sorry, get on the plate more and try to yank and pull something down the right field line and knock it out of the park. Um, not the case, not the case with a lot of these guys where uh, they know what they're doing. Like the righties, if, if you're a right-handed hitter at Vanderbilt, you should love, love, love off-speed because all you got to do is is reach out on your front front side and just tap it to the pull side, and it's going <laughs> off the wall. Or it's leaving the yard, right? It's the same yeah. thing for lefties when you play at a place that you have a really, really short wall. What a lot of pitchers try to do because of that to counteract that is try they try to backdoor you with off-speed or blast you away, so you can't do that. So you try to. And you pull something and roll over something to the, to the right side. So these guys can't even think about it. They just got to go play baseball and and do what they do.
1: Yeah, it's a dome stadium, but they've got the translucent roof that, uh, you know, you've seen other NFL teams do. So it, it could be interesting with some sun. They play at 11 a.m. on Friday and Saturday and then six o'clock Sunday night, little Sunday night baseball for, for the Vandy boys fans. Rhett. Let's do this again. Uh, We've got SEC play coming up. Enjoy uh, watching Vandy this weekend. I know you will be, and uh, let's catch up again. Thanks, man.
4: Sounds good, my friend. See you next time.